Welcome back to the Insights Podcast. I'm here at uh, Jocko Fuel and Origin Headquarters in Farmington, Maine. I just had an awesome two days with the entire crew here. This is an amazing company. If you're looking for Team America, I found it. It's here. We're all cut from the same cloth, and uh, I'm anxious to bring this episode to you. Sat down with Brian Littlefield. He's the chief product officer and co-founder of Jocko Fuel Products. We get into all kinds of stuff. We talk a little bit about his story, his journey, some suffering, some successes, and uh, where he is now and the role that he plays with the company. We talk about products. We talk about nutrition. And uh, we talk about the future of the company as a whole and where things are going. Uh, a lot of lessons in this one. Hope you guys enjoy it. To receive 10% off Jocko Fuel products, go to jockofuel.com. When you get to checkout, use the code IRONSIGHTS, all caps. These episodes are brought to you by Red Dot Fitness, training products and programs. If you're looking to learn more about your nutrition and how to help yourself, get onto a program that makes most sense for you, whether that's working with a coach one-on-one, taking advantage of our self-guided programs, or getting involved in our online membership. You can hit us up at rdftrainonline.com. That's rdftrainonline.com. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. Well, man, I'm honored to be here. Like, it looks like we've uh, we've maybe even dusted off the uh, the origin uh, Jocko Fuel podcast studio that hasn't been used in a long time. <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm here with uh, Brian Littlefield. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming out here. I appreciate it. It's gorgeous out here. Made it all the way out to Maine. Uh, got an opportunity yesterday to tour facilities, meet people. And really feel the brand and and feel the energy behind the brand here, at uh, you know the, and all the things that you're you're doing as the chief product officer and co-founder of Jocko Fuel, I was super stoked to be able to sit down and and have this opportunity to talk through all kinds of stuff because I think there's so much value um, that the companies and the company is bringing to to the table at so many levels. Uh, but specifically you and kind of your journey is very interesting to me and kind of where we are and how we got to this table today. So thanks for sitting down with me, man. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into it. So you guys have so many, so many things going on, uh, across so many different levels. And, you know, in terms of where to start, look, here's what I know about you. Right. And then I would love for you to, to fill in the blanks. Um, you know, a guy that that has a background in, in jujitsu, you know, a deep background in jujitsu and a love for it, and then spent a lot of time as a entrepreneur, supplement store owner for a long time. Uh, you and Pete obviously have a relationship that goes that goes back a little ways, and ultimately, it's evolved into this you know business and you know personal relationship 
that's now i don't know i think we there's somewhere like around 200 and how many employees does are, are you guys rocking right now? so between origin and jocko fuel and all of our sites you know three factories in maine one now merged factory in north carolina origin and jocko fuel employees i think it's closing in on 300 people yeah, that's a lot of people right? yeah and how long did it take to get there well, I mean, when I joined and I, um, at the point when I moved back to Maine, uh, where I grew up to join forces with Pete, I was doing stuff for him, you know, um, remote at first. But when I, when I came back, there was like f- five of us, you know, in, in 2016. So, you know, fast forward seven, six years, six, seven years. Yeah. yeah. Six years. And, um, you know, it's been chunky. Things have come in chunks, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, you know, there was, you know, we hired, you know, when, when I first came back, um, I continued to help grow as I had built that wholesale division. And it just got to a point where we actually in that little micro factory in the woods of industry, we were selling more geese. We actually, the scales had tipped where we were selling too much wholesale Mm. and, um, Pete had known that I probably had more value to add at the, for the business at that time to help him manage and grow and scale the business. And he gave me that opportunity to step in and and lead. And, um, you know, we were able to go from seven employees to about 35 employees in about 12 months and moved from the industry main location, the original, you know, Mm -hmm. timber frame factory Mm -hmm. to that downtown facility, which was our first, I would consider it first real factory, you know, that, that factory in the, not that it wasn't real, but that first factory in the woods and in industry was a proof of concept that, you know, it was like, Hey, can manufacturing be brought back to America? And that little proof of concept proved that, but that next phase of like, it's a big one, the big step going and buying, you know, a factory in, uh, right in the heart of the downtown here in Farmington. Yeah. You just covered so much history in such a short period of time. I mean, I, I really want to take it back, but the last thing you said there, just about bringing American products back to America, starting from, I think the term is really like rod already. You know, yeah. every part of that process is done right here on U.S. soil, and where, when, and wherever possible, as we're as you're figuring this out, because it's gone away. I mean, uh, when you look at uh, American manufacturing and products, we've become so reliant on other countries, other nations, uh, just other people to do it for us. We, there's a lack of independence now. And we learned that in spades sort of during the COVID shutdowns and lockdowns. And we're feeling that even still to this day. And we have been for a while. I just think people kind of woke up to it as they go to the gas pumps, as they go to the grocery stores, as they go to their retail stores. And I think more than ever, as we're moving into the closeout of 2022 here, as we get into this new, this holiday retail season, people are going to, people are going to feel that even more. Uh, and that is really the, 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 the roots of how the, the company's gotten started. And I wonder if we can talk about that, but kind of go back to where you started and how this, if you can maybe add in the gaps or fill in the gaps to some of this history, to how you got to where we're at now, to where you are doing so many, everybody here wears many hats. Uh, specializing in kind of one thing, but they're able to do a lot of things. Uh, and I, I think we should touch on that because I think it's a a huge part of success. Maybe you could talk about kind of, like I said, where you come from and how you got to wear the hat slash hats that you have now. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. So in an early stage company, everybody has to wear a lot of hats, right? You know, the founders are doing all kinds of different things. And, 
you know, what I've been able to add the most value to is on the product side of things, on the nutraceutical side of things. Um, obviously when I was, you know, working in the factory setting and helping manage and lead and learning about lean manufacturing, like I dove in head first, but going all the way back, it really started as a, a personal journey. I was, I was that, like that story of someone who was, um, I grew up in a, a pretty athletic family. I was in the three brothers in my household. I had a different father and, you know, we had, we had different genetics. They were all lean and ripped and I, I, it didn't come as easy to me. So I was always chubby, Mm -hmm. but played basketball, baseball, football, soccer, active. active. Yeah. But still always a little chubby. I can relate to this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, coming up through the moment that I, that I stopped having interest in, in ball sports really, and got into cars and girls. Um, not that it did me any favors, but I, I got, you know, like, I, I like to say fat as fuck because, you know, I, I completely fell off the path. You know, it was just like, there was, there was no focus on healthy living. It was just like fast living cars and girls. Yeah. And it, and it happened early for me and actually I'm pretty thankful for it, but it happened early for me. It was in, in mid to late high school. My parents, um, I love them. My father's gone now, but you know, they let me learn kind of the hard way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, uh, and, and it, and it worked for me. It was, it could be valuable lessons. It was, it was, I learned a lot of really valuable lessons and, you know, I, I took time between high school and, and college and, you know, got into the workforce and realized, okay, I need to go back to school. And, um, you know, I, again, I'm still gaining weight and becoming more unhealthy, but, um, I decided to do what, you know, in, in my generation, there was a constant sale of do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yep. And I learned quickly that that's complete bullshit. Yep. Total bullshit. So I had a buddy of mine who was in the car scene with me. You know, we were in that modified car. We came up in that, you know, in that early, um, fast and the furious age. Okay. So what are we working on? Like talk about the cars. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had a, uh, um, Eagle Talon. Okay. Uh, TSI turbo, mm-hmm. you know, had, um, had larger turbo running higher PSI, um, a number of things. And then I had in that period where I had gone from high school into the workforce. And then before I went to college, I actually bought a wrecked NSX and, and, and built it back from scratch to, to nothing. And the only way at that time I was going to be able to, for, I went in debt but it was the only way I was going to be able to afford an NSX, you know, a, a broke kid from Maine. Going to debt, going to debt while you're broke. Yeah. Exactly. On, on a broken car. On a broken car. Um, <laughs> you know, priorities. So, um, you know, learn the hard way, but, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, later on, I never thought I would make money on it. You know, I never thought that it would appreciate. And, um, you know, it was always in the back of my mind, but that's not why I bought it. You know, I bought it cause it was very much emotional. And, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a dream car at the time, you know, growing up, And, you know, so I, I had that and, you know, of course I'm in the scene, I'm doing dumb shit and, you know, racing around and going to car shows and, you know, back in the day it was hot import nights and it was just, there was all kinds of stuff going on. You know, I'd go in, I'd go down to New England dragway and it was fun. I can relate to this too, man. I had American muscle cars growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So if you're not driving them, you're wrenching on them. Exactly. It's a community and your buddies are around you and there's girls and there's, fast times and you know there's always parties and yeah very social yeah and then there's also 
the ego and the macho part of that. Like, you know, whose car's faster, who knows more. <laughs> there is, yeah. It's like an equalizing. There's a, the great equalizer can be the car. Yes. Know? Like, I don't care how big or strong you yeah, are, yeah. <laughs> how hot your chick is. I just whipped your ass, right? You know, and you, there's nothing you can say about it. Exactly. And um, you mentioned it like that, that subculture. Um, I think it can be a little toxic at times, but overall it's like <laughs> yeah, a, can be. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a family, you know, it really is. And, you know, especially if you're in the right group and um, a buddy of mine in that, in that network had left and gone to like, you know, an, an automotive tech program or something and came back and he's like, that was, you know, a load of shit. And he's like, I'm going to go to uh, the university of Northwestern Ohio, which is really to my knowledge, like the only place it's kind of like the premier motorsports university where you actually get like a regionally accredited okay. degree in this because they, they don't just like, they don't, they don't have you just working on like the hot rod side of shit. Like you're actually working up through the program. You're taking all of your normal college courses that you normally would be interesting and they own their own racetrack and everything. And like, you can actually go and get a four year degree. And most of these kids, like when they graduate, they get placement in IndyCar, NASCAR, you know, and, and then try and work towards like F1 and stuff. So, Is that right? So I was there and did a accelerated like three-year program, two degrees, one in like just automotive technology and one in high-performance technology. Um, really fell in love with like engine machining and things like that. Went and worked on a race team for a very short period of time. Realized like traveling the road. It was in the Rolex series and um, traveling the road and staying in shitty hotels all the time. And like just like it – wasn't as like glamorous just gonna say, and amazing as I thought it was like, going to be. The reality sets yeah. in about the what this life is. Yeah. So. And it was like, I had turned like a dream and a passion and like a hobby into a career. It didn't help that I had like terrible management on the team. The team was like very toxic. Um, so I was like, I need to do something else during that period of time. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Yeah, that's good. During that period of time, I, of course, you're on the road. And, you know, when I moved to Ohio, when my buddy's like, hey, I'm going to go to this university. Do you want to come with me? We went to Ohio. And, you know, we we were a little bit older because, like I said, I had taken a period off. So uh, I think it was like 21. And when you say older, that just means, yeah, you're not the fresh 18-year-old kid out of high school. You exactly. You a couple of years to yeah. make some mistakes, learn some things, but also learn you know, about the tough streets of Maine or whatever they are, you know, like yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. a little street smart or whatever. Yeah. It's one of those things where you just, you know, you, you, you get some time in the workforce, yeah. you know, like what, yeah. you know, you have what, you know, what you have to look forward to if you don't go do something else. Mm -hmm. I knew I, and I kind of had always had an ambition to get out of Maine as a young, as a young man. So, um, he, when he, you know, presented this, when he presented this to me, it was within two weeks. I was like, boom, I had already gone and applied okay. and, you know, and, and had filled out all my, you know, financial information. And I was just like gone and we packed our shit and left and, um, rented a apartment. Cause we were a little bit older, like I was saying. So we didn't want to stay on campus. So we rented an apartment across the street from a McDonald's. Um, so well, at least 24 hours. So you're going to yeah. stay fed and we we're 21. So it was like convenience store, McDonald's dollar menu, um, cheap beer. And, and that's what we live. Everything on for like, you could want. Yeah, exactly. As a 21, as, year, as a 21 year old living away from home, freshman yeah. in school, like yeah. as a, that, I mean, it, it was a recipe for disaster. Yeah, is what it sounds it like it. Yeah. Um, thankfully I was in a program, which I was passionate about. So I didn't, you know, fall off straight the too far from. Yeah. The, yeah. The it was just, 
you know, poor, poor, poor living in the sense of health. So blew up from there. And I was up to about, you know, I'm five ten, And so I was about 265 pounds. And, um, that was 265 pounds of like no muscle. That's just straight fat. Just unhealthy. Yeah. Very unhealthy. You know, get out of breath, going up the stairs, unhealthy. Like doctors like, Hey, you're pre-hypertensive and your early twenties. Like, this is a fucking problem, dude. You need to get your shit together. This happened. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge wake up call. Oh, it's a huge, huge wake up call. Yeah. And I knew I felt like shit and, um, you know, I just, uh, I'm, I've always like done really like my family always wondered why I never went into like the sciences, like health sciences or something. A lot of people in the medical field in my family, I've always accelerated in them. I always, you know, I always got all my best grades in like my science classes and things like that. Always ahead of the curve, um, compared to my classmates. But, um, and it was always a personal interest. I just, I didn't go that route for whatever reason. I just didn't choose to. So when I had, when I hit that kind of inflection point and I was like, like their switch happened and I was like, okay, I need to get healthy. And I met a dude at that time who kind of was just like, Hey man, like you should come to the gym. Like you should come work out at the gym with me. And, um, and I didn't really take him up on it, but it kind of just sparked. We may have gone and lifted together like once or twice or something, but you know, he was part of that catalyst to like spark that. Okay. I need to do something, you know, I, I need to do something. So I remember one day I literally, left my apartment, went and grabbed, like went into the store, bought a gym bag, gym clothes and came back. And I remember specifically, and I've told this before, but I remember specifically my roommates at the time who were kind of like living that shitty, unhealthy life. We're all like sitting on the couch, smoking, Mm -hmm. drinking. Mm -hmm. And, um, I walk in with that shit and they fucked with me right away, right away. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that just, made my decision so much easier. Yeah, now I'm really doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I have a bit of a obsessive personality when it comes to like when I'm going to do something. Um like buy an NSX at, you know, 19 years old. Yeah, I knew so, this was coming. Yeah. So, <laughs> I uh I went in like a, a crazy man and um lost a bunch of weight really quickly and at the same time because I love science and I like I, my buddy who did tell me, "Hey, you should come to the gym." handed me a, you know, a book. And I've always been interested in like, my father was always kind of like holistic in a way, mm-hmm. you know, he always believed in like vitamins and like certain herbs and shit like that. And I was always, I just kind of dismissed it, but it was kind of, kind of grew up around it. And for whatever reason, he gave me this book and I dove into it. And then next thing you know, like I'm coming home from, from my classes, I'm going to the gym, I'm, I'm coming back home getting my coursework done. And then I'm up all night reading clinical literature about just everything and anything that you could imagine, because I didn't really know what I would call it back then, but I always believed in like force multipliers. Like what can I use to leverage the success of what I'm trying to do? What tools can I use? Not hacks, not cheats, but like, what are those things that I can do to accelerate my progress and success? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's the same thing I apply in business. Mm -hmm. It's like, what can we do to accelerate success? And so I looked at these things, these, these, you know, you know, these, I mean, everything's a chemical, but I looked at these chemicals and these compounds as like opportunity. Mm -hmm. 
So I just dove in and just read and read and read. And I'm lucky where I was able to understand the science probably more than the average person. Gotcha. So I was able to take it and apply it. And I'm going through this, this change physically and mentally. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm in my apartment, like, cause I'm, I'm still a broke college student who's like working part-time going to school. So I didn't have money for like the best supplements and, and, you know, so I'm, I'm literally buying in bulk and like mixing in, in like Mason jars and bought an encapsulator and I'm like, like hand encapsulator and I'm making my own shit. People don't understand how inexpensive those raw materials can be. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, you can have the same stuff that's in some product that costs 40, some pre-workout that costs 40 bucks. You can make it for. Yeah. A lot of, or whatever. No, you're absolutely right. Like a lot of, in a lot of uh, products are expensive because of branding. I mean, it's like a Louis Vuitton bag. You know, how much does a Louis Vuitton bag cost to make 12 bucks? Like same as the other one. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's all about branding. So, um, you know, and of course there's certain nutraceutical companies and we'll probably touch on that, but where, you know, quality really comes into the cost, but it's, um, that was it. You know, I'm mixing shit up. I'm diving into it. And then in my gym, that I was at. It was an old Gold's gym, but it had gone out of business and some, a local family had bought it. There's a lot of those in Ohio. Yeah. I mean, that's like a Mecca for that. Yes. Like if you go there, I mean, in any of those gyms you walk into, it's a lot of old equipment. There's a lot of big dudes in there lifting mm-hmm. a lot of heavy weight. I love that environment actually. So I can, I can totally relate. I used to, I used to and frequent several gyms out there. Yeah. None of the, the equipment was updated. Oh, no. It was all original. It's all rusty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was all gross carpet in there. Yeah. It was called Family Fitness. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was um, it was kind of cool because it was gritty. You know, it was, it was original. So none you of the never new, duplicate it. No. Yeah. No. It, it takes was, years and years to get nasty like that. Very gritty. Still had the original, like, universal posters on the wall from, like, the 90s or something. It yeah. was... Like they were like shut up and trained. Like they're still there, you know, it's like, so it was, um, it was a cool experience. And so I, I got into like the gym and like workout thing and I was only really doing that. Like, I'm going to say between a year and a half and two years, um, you can make a lot of progress in that, but especially as a novice. Yeah. Who's yeah. Really done it before. So I was, I probably got down to like two 25 to 30, but I was also putting on some muscle because I was lifting. Sure. You know, so I was, you know, that's so it sounds, you know, there's like a 30 pound fat loss in there with a, you know, you're, you're netting out, you know, that 40 pound weight loss or whatever. But at the same time, your body composition has changed. You look and feel completely different. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that same gym, there was this little room off to the side that, you know, used to be like gymnastics or something. And, uh, I would always see these goofy fuckers, you know, wrestling in pajamas and I love it. And, uh, you know, I, I, at the university, there used to be this, there was a, there was a spot on campus that was called the racer, I think racers cafe. And, um, there was this, I would always go there to, to eat between classes. And there was this kid in there. His name was Wasim. He's one of my best friends now. And, um, he, every time he would see me, he, he would see me in the gym. He used to train jujitsu. So he was in that room and he approached me. He's like, Hey man, I always see you working out. Um, you should come in and train sometime. 
and he did this for a while. Okay. Like a year. Every time I'd see him, you should come train. You should come train. And, uh, I was like, nah, dude, that shit's goofy. You know, I, and, uh, um, he would always hook me up. Like he'd be like, he was like selling me. He was like selling me. He'd be like, give me a buck. And I'd be like, okay. And he'd put a buck in the register and he'd give me like a plate of turkey and cheese, just like this mound. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> he, he was hooking me up. So finally, um, and I was doing boxing at the time on the okay. side okay. for like cardio. And just cause I thought it was cool. And I was like obsessed with MMA. I have a cousin who at that time was a professional MMA fighter. Okay. He owns a very successful local gym in Maine. So I came up around it in, in, in my family. So it's it, now you're fit, right? Yeah. I'm, no, I'm, like, I'm getting fit at that time. I, w- I wouldn't have called myself fit then, but, um, he convinced me to come try a class and that, that was it. That was it. It was like crack. I, I, I've heard of this before. I yeah. put down I, literally that day after the class, I put down the weights and I put on a gi. You put it, put I, on the pajamas. I put on the pajamas and, uh, yeah, and there's nothing. Cause at that time I was feeling good. I had lost 30 pounds. I'd put on muscle. I was looking better than I ever had. I was feeling better than I ever had. I was stronger than I ever was. So I went in there and rolled with like a 16 year old blue belt kid who climbed on my back and choked me the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, and, and every person, you know, at that very moment has, they come to a crossroads. Yep. Their ego can or cannot handle it. Mm-hmm. And they either say this shit is stupid and they never come back or they become obsessed with it. Now there's later, there's later on there's crossroads, but there's a, a, at that point, at that point, I'm either coming back for another one of these or I'm not. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, my obsessive personality was like, I need I to, to learn figure, everything I can I about this, this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so because it's, you know, mainly a form of cardio in jujitsu and I started just burning an absolute ton of calories, I went from, you know, that probably 225, 230 to like 170 pounds within like four months. Wow. Because I was just, I was training like five days a week. I was just going and going and going and going obsessively. Um, and I had a great, you know, great instructor at the time, great training partners. And, um, I fast forward about a year. I'm, I'm doing jujitsu often. I finished my automotive programs and I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. I love my gym. You know, I'm loving this. I had fought MMA. I'd convinced my coach to throw me in there. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So you got in there and did it. Yeah, I did it. Um, How'd that go? And I learned, I got that shit kicked out yep, of me that's, the first time. Yeah. It's like starting all over, right? Yeah. And then I was like, oh man, do I want to do more MMA? I ended up getting back in the cage one more time and won. But that was more of like, a, okay, I need to redeem myself here and realize like, I like choking people and, 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 and bending arms way more than getting punched Punch in, in the, the face. face. Yeah. It's real when you get locked in a cage with someone. I've, I've, I have a different respect for anybody, just like people that have gone to war. Mm-hmm. Like I have this in, insane respect for people that have locked themselves in the cage with, with another person. Like until you've done it, you just can't like skydiving. I can't, I've never done it, but I got to imagine, um, it's like you, it's nothing you can experience. Right. Yep. So I'm, obsessed with jujitsu and I don't want to leave. And I had graduated. So, um, one thing that I had the opportunity to do is, you know, meeting with, with people at the school, they're like, well, you can roll yourself right into like a four-year business degree. You're halfway there because you've taken all of you. So I was like, cool, let's do that. I was like, stay around selfishly. I'm like, I stay around, I can train and I can 
teach and I was doing private lessons and everything. And, um, yeah, I just, I just immersed myself into jujitsu and that culture. And, and that was, that was it at that point. What's going on with the supplement thing? Are you still like uh, obsessive about that? Are yeah. you trying to figure it out and trying to find a way to work it into BJJ somehow? Yeah. And I had, I had, you know, it was a natural pivot, right? I had gone from like, okay, how do I apply these, um, you know, these ingredients and compounds to leverage like muscle growth and fat loss to right. like cardio and um, endurance, ex- right? endurance, yeah. explosive recovery, exercise, recovery, yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Hydration, mm-hmm. you know, everything that, you know, is probably more applicable to, to jujitsu rather than when lifting or bodybuilding or power. Yeah. Right? Two totally, totally different things. Two totally different realms. Yeah. So I had shifted my mindset. I'm experimenting with that stuff. And within our gym where we were doing jujitsu and some other like, um, combative sports and stuff. And, and of course a lot of MMA classes and, you know, coaching athletes and stuff. I became the person that everybody came to. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're just like, Hey, come, like Brian, he, he knows like you want to ask what protein to take or what you should be taking for a pre-workout versus for lifting versus something for endurance, totally different product. Like why you're the dude, I'm the guy. So I become that guy and, and I'm now again, fast forward a, a little bit longer. My, um, instructor at the time who I'm teaching for and, and really helping run the academy for, you know, we just have a conversation. I'm like, Hey dude, like we have this plaza right here. We have space. We're on a, you know, four lane road. We have traffic. You have a captive audience. Let's open up a small brick and mortar. It's Mm -hmm. not that hard. I know that we can go through, you know, a distributor and carry a number of products. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew the products and, you know, it was a very easy transition and we rolled right into it you next know, thing you know you got no, a supplement store no question. retail shop yeah what's yep. it called vital sports nutrition all right and it was just another like a uh, retail space next to the yeah to so the what, what we did is we built out a carved out a space in the the same location gotcha and you know of course it was open at that time it was open all day long and then you know we had like morning and night classes that would come through, and mm-hmm. so the doors were open to everybody, and then it helped feed into the jujitsu yep. classes, and it was, it was, it was pretty cool. So, um, a couple months go by, and my business partner and jujitsu instructor at the time, he was a musician when he was younger, a really, really, really good guitarist, like next level guitarist, and he gets approached by like the guitarist or drummer from like Evanescence after they dissolved. Oh, no shit. And he's like, Hey, I formed this band and I want to take you, Mm -hmm. I want you to come on tour. And so he's like in his mid forties and he's (laughs) just like, cool, I'm going on tour. He's like, you're going to run everything. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll take over. And he did, he went on tour and then, um, yeah, I took over and was running everything and running the selling supplements, teaching all the classes, doing all the privates and everything. So, um, and and when you have a supplement store like that, every brand and company out there is sending you samples and product and they're sending in reps marketing and they're calling you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was even more exposed to the business side of things. You know, I had, I had like dove in on ingredients years prior, but 
I was, I was like, okay, now I'm actually going to start breaking apart people's formulas. And I started, you know, I'm a nerd. So I started like literally designing dream formulas on, on pen and paper. Like, this is what I would do because they, you know, they should have never, you know, excluded or included these ingredients. Or I got this product over here, which I really love. And this one over here that I really love. If you combine these things. Like if you take the the best components from this and this, you'd actually have a good product. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's what I started doing. And so I had built this like, you know, physical and mental database and I didn't know when I was going to use it. I just kept doing it and, you know, selling product. And then eventually I, what happened was I was coming back to Maine to visit family and I was like, I need to find a place to train. And I had heard about origin, um, but I didn't know a ton about it. Actually, one of my training partners had had an origin gi at the time, very early, early model. And he was like a super fan. And he was always talking about origin. I only stopped into the original origin factory because there was like the only place in Maine outside of Portland to train. It was closer mm-hmm. from, from Fairfield, Maine to Farmington, Maine. It was actually an industry, the town over, but it was closer than driving to Portland. So I was like, I'm going to drive there. That's literally what happened. So let's time out just a second on the origin thing, because yeah. this is what I know. So in, in the BJJ community, there's so much around the athlete, right? And mm-hmm. then the and then the athlete gets sponsored by a particular, let's say, gi company or whatever equipment company. Yeah. And then that's all you get. Or you, as the athlete or the professor or whatever that owns the, wh- whatever the family or the lineage is, is like we make our own gis. And if you come to our to our <laughs> school, this is the gi that you wear. Yeah. Right. And so, BJJ was going as you've already mentioned was going gangbusters at that time. MMA was huge. It still is. But there's very viable business there, and these these guys are looking for ways to make a little extra profit on the side. And it's very, you know, gis are pretty profitable. Yeah. Um, if you were wearing an origin gi, it was because you recognized the quality of the gi. It was almost like it was a small thing, and they were a little bit more expensive, right? Because of the manufacturing and the quality of materials mm-hmm. and all the things there. It was it was almost like going back to the car thing, like you entered in with the with the Talon, but the NSX was like the dream car, mm-hmm. and so the i I, just, I won't even say it but like yeah, another yeah. brand would have been the eagle town whatever you were wearing at the time the nsx was the was the origin gi correct and you had to have enough money right to mm-hmm. get into that but it was also like you shouldn't be entering into jujitsu or the bjj world in an nsx or an origin gi if you walked onto the mat like that as a white belt you're gonna look like an like an asshole, and you're probably gonna get taught a lesson. Like, who do you think you are? Are you coming up the Gucci shit? Right? It, it, Am I right? No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. In the early days, it was like that. Yeah, it was very much like that. It was like if you had an origin gi on, they're like, oh, look at the fancy pants, you know, coming in. Like, that culture is changing quickly. It, uh, it's yeah. changed a lot, yeah. and that's also because jujitsu has changed so much as a culture since that time because it has become less. You know, at that time of like, let's say 95 to 2005, I, w- I think 95% of people that got into jujitsu did it because of MMA. Mm-hmm. And then the explosive, that decade between 2005 and 2015, it was equally as explosive for MMA, but the explosion that came from people who just wanted to do jujitsu is, is where things changed the, in where, where it went from. 2005 to 2015, I think that's the biggest yep. growth phase for jujitsu. Now it's still growing exponentially. Don't get me wrong, but 
it really opened the door for like the average person. Celebrity started started doing it. You know, you have like Ashton Kutcher and you have like Keanu Reeves and like those guys, like they started doing jujitsu and bringing it to like, oh, wow, like the average person. Like well, people start to understand but, what it was, right? And it was, I could get sort of close enough to this MMA thing and like brands like UFC, which are massive, right? And people are seeing this and it's the cool thing to do and there's social social groups around it. I can go do something like this without getting punched or kicked in the face, right? So there's a little yes. bit of that too. And there's the fitness aspect too. Like I've been working out, I've been doing all this. It's kind of boring here. I could, anybody that's done BJJ gets it. We're kind of where I'm going with this. It's a different challenge. It's a chess match. It's physical. There's a personal connection with the person that you're, you're rolling or sparring with. There's so many things about it and you can do it without getting punched in the face. I mean, there's it's to me, it's like the perfect balance. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but it's one of those things where don't get me wrong. Like I still, it went many years before I picked up a weight again, but you know, like it's still fun to like, you know, pick up weights or get on the bike or, sure. or, or hit the stairmaster or something. But at the end of the day, like, it's just, it's not as stimulating psychologically as for me as like jujitsu. I mean, you have someone else who's, you know, we call it, you know, simulated murder. Mm-hmm. It, but you're not getting punched in the face, right? You get to tap. That's the thing. It's like you get to tap out. Like somebody gets to choke you, and yes, you're the nail, and someone else is the hammer for a while on that on that on that learning curve. But you know, it's one of those things where, for instance, like I can get on a bike. I wear one of those um, polar straps, uh-huh. chest straps, and uh, I can get on the bike um, or like. Um, uh, airdyne or something like it doesn't matter what it is and i can go as hard as i can for 45 minutes or i can go roll in rounds straight for 45 minutes i can't no push comparison. my I, I can when i'm doing jujitsu i could push my heart rate into the 190s and like burn a thousand calories in 50 minutes it's yeah. stupid yeah it's it, it what you can do because you're you're not thinking about the workout when you're working out for the sake of working out, you're thinking about the workout. Now, some people can really do a good job of bringing themselves into another space. I'm not as good at that. So for me, when I did jujitsu, I was like, wow, I'm able to like push myself harder than I would alone. And I'm not thinking about it at all. Right. And the inputs are, are much different. I mean, you're getting way more inputs, which creates a higher demand yeah. for the outputs in, you know, on the mat, which translates into higher caloric expenditure. Yep. Uh, there's also... A hormone response that, that happens with that. Um, there's endorphins that get released. Yep. There's all the things that you're chasing during the workout anyway that you wind up feeling um, from, you know, just physical activity anyway, but you're, you're sharing it with other people. But I think the bigger part is you're learning. It's not linear. And, and working out or fitness isn't linear at all. But jujitsu, every day there's a new lesson that gets taught. Right. Whether that's the skill that you learn for the day or the, oh shit, I'm never going to put myself in that position again. Or there's always somebody bigger and stronger or shit, I'm actually, I'm getting better. Like I can celebrate this. Like I just did something today without thinking about it. It was automatic. Um, all that time that I put on the mean, there's so many factors to it versus again, going through reps, sets, you know? Yeah. And it's such a young sport that it's still evolving. Yep. Like it changes all the time and even things become cyclical. Yep. So stuff that has like was in style 20 years ago is now coming back in style because people learned the defense and then they forgot about it because they weren't doing it anymore because it didn't work anymore. And then Quote everybody unquote. stops practicing the defense and drilling and then it comes back. And so it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. I mean, I've been doing it a long time. I've been a black belt for a few years and I still learn stuff like off 
all the time. I mean, the BJJ conversation is a is a huge one in and of itself, and it relates directly to this business. And that's where we were going with this: is you were you'd gone back to Maine, and we were talking about the origin brand, and you coming back here. And what, did you say you were going to visit the, the 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 studio where they were or the sorry, yeah the plant? J- just to train, yeah. like literally, because at that time origin was so small that there was two levels to the original like 5,000 square foot factory. There was an upstairs and a downstairs. I got to see it yesterday. It's really, really surreal actually being in there thinking about it all. And upstairs that's now like, um, living space. It used to be all mats. And so I literally just went there to train and walked in the door and, uh, I see a loom running and I'm like, what the (laughs) fuck? What? And if you haven't seen one in person before, to me, it's like, for me, it was like life-changing. I was like, cause I've, I've been working around mechanics and mechanical things for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I worked in a factory. Um, I worked in the lo- world's largest, you know, in between co- uh, high school and college, I worked in the world's largest golf tee factory. Actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And, you know, so I had been around stuff, industrial stuff. And I walk in and see a loom with like 4,000 individual pieces moving and synchrony up and down at the same time. And I'm just like, this is magic. That That's like exactly this. what went through my head yesterday when I got to see it yeah. in action. I mean, you're looking at if whether it's 4,000 parts or 10,000 or 8,000 parts. I don't know, yeah. but you're just looking at this thing going and doing this thing. I literally could have sat there and watched. It was mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to John who was walking me through, you know, yes. kind of all the things. And, and the other part about it was, is this is a, this piece of equipment, this particular one that I was looking at is not a, it's not new technology, right? This technology is, is making fabric that literally is part of the fabric of America. I mean, how many garments have been, how much fabric has been made that has gone into how many garments that have gone to so many people across the United States or in probably beyond. There was so much to that as I was watching this thing just move in synchronicity and working on what was really fascinating to me going back to the, the, I guess the technology in and of itself is the, the patterns or the coding plastic i don't what what are those things referred to in terms of giving basically it's giving the giving the it looks like an old scantron for anybody that that's ever done that it's got like little punch holes in it which you're feeding the program oh yeah to the yeah yeah i don't know what that's called but it's like it's, it's a punch card yeah it's okay so it's easy simple it's literally it's a, punch a, punch, card. it's a punch card but it looks so simple it's so simple it's not a computer chip you're not standing there programming this thing mm-hmm. and it's literally making some of the best keys the fabric for the best keys in the, in the world yeah. yeah it is and and obviously some of that equipment is i say older i mean it's from the 80s and it's 90s right? yeah. but we've been using it ever since and you know we've been you know as humans we've been weaving fabric forever Mm-hmm. You know, hand, at first it was hand weaving, you know, and, and then, um, you know, the old school shuttle looms yep. and then now like the, the pignonis that we have, those big green ones. And then now we actually recently just upgraded our looms to newer looms. So it's, uh, it's an evolving technology, but at the end of the day, it's still warp and weft and it's, it's, it's intertwining that. And so we start printing fabric we're like th- 3d printing fabric somehow. Yeah. Like it's going to be woven. So, um, or knit and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. So I walked in and I was mind blown. Yeah. That's the same. Got cooked, it. Yeah, yeah. Cooked. And so I was like, I, I immediately, like I stayed after training and I talked to Pete and John at the time because John is employee. Number one, number one He's very proud of that. He is. Yeah. yeah. Very proud. No, he is. And, and he's, um, man, he's been crucial since day one. Like he, he, and he is, John is the definition of 
many hats. He has I got been, that. Yeah. He has been in the art department and media department. He has been in customer service. He has been in the shipping department. He has been, he has gone and done every single job. I, he, he I, I spent some time talking to him because I got that from him. He was very humble, very humble, but such great energy. Yeah, I mean the guy is just like he bleeds this stuff. Like yeah. it's just coming out of his pores. And uh, there'll be some cool YouTube content because we got a little awesome. bit of a bio on him or whatever. When, when people come come back and watch, I hope they they go over to learn about who John is because he. Going back to that, like he was talking about, like if a machine goes down, there's literally nobody, there's no buddy that you can call to come fix it. You got to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, they don't even make parts for this stuff anymore. So you got to figure it out. He's a guy that's just going to figure it out. Yeah. John is one of the original guys that, that was mentored by Lenny. So when Pete, um, I'm trying to think of when to backtrack into this, when Pete, started because he started this thing and and you can remember origin was importing geese from pack from, from like pakistan, pakistan. every 95 percent of martial arts equipment comes from pakistan not china a lot of people don't know that they like pakistan has a monopoly on martial arts equipment for whatever reason that china makes happened. everything else pakistan they they survive on like geese and 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 uh focus mitts and yes ipads gloves. gloves yeah yep 100 so he was importing, and at the same time, Pete was a, a really good competitor. I was like an average competitor at best, and Pete was a really good competitor. He had won the North American trials, so as a, I think, a purple belt and maybe a brown belt. And at brown belt, he competed in Abu Dhabi, so he, he, he got flown over. He got a ticket, and uh, he did really well, but ultimately, back then, it was brown and black belts together. So he ended up fighting... Um, the top of my lineage at the time, which was Shanji Hibero. And Shanji um, is considered like number one or two in the, like ever. Like it's like him, Hodger, in the gi, it's like him, Hodger, and even his brother Solo is like in top five if you yeah. look at accolades. Pete was like up on points until like 25 seconds and got caught in a triangle. Uh, to, be, to, to even be able to hang with Shanji yeah. is beyond an accomplishment. So he was a beast. But when he was over there competing... He saw somebody walk by and what, cause Pete ultimately was, he was an artist, like an actual designer. Like designer. Mm. And so he was designing patterns and things and like, they didn't like change. They wanted to just do the same old, same old that they sell to everyone else. So he started designing stuff. And of course, what did they do? They ripped him off. So he sees someone walk by with his design on and um, it just like floored him. His design was somebody else's logo on it yes, or whatever. Yes, exactly. And yeah, how heartbreaking. Oh, dude. So he's on the plane. Because he's basically what he's doing is, is he's designed it, he's farmed it out. So he's got it being made and he's got his geese being made in Pakistan. Yep. He's he's spending the money, he's done all the work, they're getting sent back over. He's giving them his cut or their cut so he can come back and make his cut and his his margins. And yet he sees somebody that's making money off of all his the back of all of his hard work. Exactly. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. And I'd be pissed yeah he was pissed i would be so mad and i don't know pete that well or yeah. i only know from what i've seen i can't imagine a pissed pete but i can imagine <laughs> obviously the way he yeah it's he, not fun he focused that energy is yeah. where we're at now so uh. he uh he did yep he on the plane <laughs> ride home he literally was crafting up his um and and he and i you know um have a similarity in that aspect where he's 
extremely obsessive about something that he's going to do. Yeah. yeah. He, he, a bit of a perfectionist, but more like a relentless determination. Gotcha. And he got home and called up Joe, who you just met a second ago, mm-hmm. uh, his father-in-law and, um, a couple other guys with chainsaws and they all came over and he cut, you know, a patch of woods off his property and, uh, literally had timber frame sawn out and, and built. And he's like, I'm going to build a factory here and make my product here, or it's not going to be done at all. And I'm going to pivot into something else. And that's what he did. And he started driving around collecting old sewing machines that LL Bean had left for dead and, you know, trying to find the knowledge and bring it back. And one of the guys that was absolutely essential, we wouldn't be here without him was his name was Lenny because he connected the dots when it came to weaving Mm. and Lenny who passed away, um, about a year ago, he was able to find an old loom that was abandoned. It still needed like 80 hours of cleaning, restoration, new parts and everything's like, and everything like that. But at the end of the day, they found an old friggin' loom and he got it running for Pete and he showed them how to run it. And every time it broke, call Lenny. Yeah. To fix it. Yeah. I think, so here's, this is a fascinating part about this for me too. And I don't think that most people understand. So you just mentioned like L.L. Bean, like a lot of people wouldn't even know who that brand is. Yeah. Right. Like L.L. Bean had left this thing for dead. They don't understand that manufacturing has about the eighties started to completely move away from the United States. And now it's all, it's, it's all overseas. Mm-hmm. We talked about Pakistan we talked about China and China kind of doing everything over time. That that's a generational thing. Like for generations, there were towns with manufacturing plants. You mentioned the golf tees. I mean, we put paper mills here. There's, you know, which is how you got some of the buildings, you know, mm-hmm. one of the buildings or whatever there's, all these things, shoe manufacturing that was done heavily, you know, in the United States is now somewhere else. So for generations, you could have a career, you could have a, you could have a career in many, in, in the, the industry, whatever it happens to be. Let's use shoes as an example, right? Like I can, I can have a job. I can start on the floor, work in the factory Then maybe I'm managing there, maybe a part of design or part of this process or that process. When that stuff moves and then Companies start to take it over, turn it into a bit of a monopoly. Now there's one company that's bought up all these all these plants or all these manufacturing facilities. And then ultimately that sells off to the highest bidder. And that highest bidder then moves the labor and everything over or the factories overseas so that they can save money and improve their margins. Long story short, and I don't want to bore people with this, it all goes away. And with that goes the knowledge, goes the talent, goes the pride in putting it all together. And so when you come across... Lenny is like a duck. He's he was the guy that he was the last, the last of those guys, literally the last. Yeah, I remember Pete at the time because Lenny was up. Like everyone that had that knowledge was you know his age, and 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 he was in poor health when when we met him. But I remember he said to Pete. Pete asked him. He's like, "How many of you are left?" He's like, "Oh, a whole bunch, a whole bunch." And he said, "Well, what's a whole bunch?" He's like, "It's like four of us." Yeah, I was just gonna say. Four of us, four, four people. And, um, they're, they're really like all gone. You know, Lenny was, especially around here, Lenny was like the last and yeah, Maine itself is rich in, in, in manufacturing history. Actually the town we're sitting in Wilton was the location where Bass Shoe was made. So Bass Shoe, which is five minutes away, the 300,000 square foot facility that sits empty 
and dead and rotting and falling in was 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 right here yeah so it it it, uh if it hadn't been for origin at least in our area in our region the it would have been gone probably probably if not for multi-generations forever so there's this part of building the company but there's also part of rebuilding this generational history of bringing people into products manufacturing and the skill sets and the knowledge that gets passed down so when i was talking with john yesterday like john was saying like the average age on the floor upstairs we were downstairs where the the weaving was happening yeah and the looms were were running and there was there's all kinds of cool stuff again we'll, we'll show that on the youtube but then ups and you guys have it all over your youtube channel but upstairs when he was looking around i was looking at the people right and i was all these people are just they're, they're over machines and they're they're passing this down this very efficient process but they're not it's not a bunch of old people there's a bunch of young people vibrant people that are now picking up something that wasn't available to them their parents probably didn't even see it or don't even know anything about it and they're starting this process and now you're, you're teaching and you're bringing this back. So part of origin is bringing this back to America and starting this, this right here, which to me was, was fascinating. It was also, it was very impactful. You know, you, you're watching some sort of some history and people now being able to make a living um, and, and, and have a career in something that didn't exist only a few years ago. Um, and, and their parents' parents may have been part of that and watched it all disappear. And, you know, the communities dissolve and you know stuff move away and having to find something completely different to do at whatever stage in life yeah we we it happened in a generational period where the corporate greed and the infection of of corporate money with lobbyists to push a narrative that it is okay to prioritize profits over people where put things got pushed overseas was happening at the exact same time that parents were telling their kids, you don't want to work in a factory. You need to go to college. You don't want to work in a factory. You need to go to college. It was happening at the same time. So it was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. The trades are, you know, you don't want to do that. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Why do you want to work with your hands? It'd be much better to sit behind a cubicle all day long and type like, but it's, I got to tell you now, if you work in the world of construction, plumbing, if you're an electrician, you can make a really good living right right now doing that. Oh man, tell me about it. Yeah. Like every time I have to hire a contractor, yeah. I'm like, man, these guys are crushing. Yeah. If you can find one that that can take your take yeah. your work because they're so busy. There's right and, and yeah, yeah, there's so few of them. So yeah. it's um, we're making it cool, and we're providing that opportunity for people to actually, you know, hey, if you don't want to go to college and you don't want to sit in a cubicle, um, or or on a headset all day long. If you want to make something with your hands where at the end of the day, you can say, holy shit, I made this. And this is going to land at someone's home. They're going to unbox it and and they're going to have a, a real emotional response to be able to put this on their body and use it knowing that the person who made this like did so by hand with pride at home here in the U.S. Like, we're making that. Cool again. We're given that opportunity. I can almost kind of relate to it. This might sound a little trivial and a little cheesy, but I got the opportunity yesterday to push the button on the laser cutter <laughs> with the black dragon weave. Somebody's going to get a black dragon weave A2 gi jacket, mm-hmm. right? From Origin. It's probably already been ordered, right? And, and they're, 
they're waiting for it and they're going to have it in a few days. I've seen how efficient this process is. They're probably going to have it in a few days and I got to push the button on it and they're going to be on the mat somewhere, you know, in, in the world of BJJ. Isn't that cool? It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's rad. So that's what hooked me. Okay. I walked into that factory. I saw that loom and I was like, what? So I stayed after I talked with Pete. I was like, dude, I want to like, I love what you're doing. Cause I had, I was running my supplement store, but you know, it was only a couple of years prior. I was, I was in school, you know, I was in the business program and all of my, you know, professors were like, you know, manufacturing, the industrial side of things is dead. Focus on the service industry, focus on the service industry, tech, tech you know, right, yeah. um, hospitality, things, like, nothing to do with like making shit. And Elon said it best. If you don't make shit, you won't have shit, period. So that resonated with me. And I had one professor who's like, "Ah," you know, I asked him, I grilled him on it because I always thought he was really level-headed. And, um, you know, I kind of hit it off with him because in academia, he was one of the few that were probably, you know, a little more balanced, let's say that. And he was like, no, everything's cyclical and everything can be brought back. It just, it it takes time Time. Mm -hmm. and it takes, you know, really the, the, the directive, like someone has to do it. The desire to to do that. Exactly. And, uh, that always stuck with me. So, you know, when I saw him doing it on this micro level, you know, just a couple of people in this, you know, in 2,500 square feet, you know, to get a loom in there and some sewing, you know, some sewing machines, a cutting table, cause everything was cut by hand back then by John. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I was just like, I got to help, help. I want to be part of this. It was just, resonated with me so um and of course it was happening in my my home backyard yeah Yeah, yeah, an hour away from where i grew up so it just made so much sense so i I told him like hey what can i do to help and we really didn't know you know because i was like i'm not moving back to maine at that time i was like i want to help but i'm not moving back to maine gotcha so eventually you know we came up with the idea i was like "Do, do how much can you make and he's like well i can't make much more than i'm selling right now but a little bit I'm like, okay, we'll scale a little bit. And then when you do send me geese and I'm literally going to put them in the trunk of my car. And when my shop is covered and I don't have to teach or do <laughs> gonna drive them lessons, around? I'm going to drive around to different jujitsu schools in the Midwest. So I literally drew a circle and I made some of my, my best long standing relationships in this community that way. You know, guys like Brent Insko up in uh, Michigan and, and, and James Klingerman in Indiana. And I just drove all over the place. Like, and I would just call ahead and be like, Hey guys, like I'm from origin and uh, you know, black belts at that time, they knew who origin was, you know, they always had some kid or some student in their school that had one and everybody would touch it and this, feel like this goes back all, to what I was saying before. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, Hey, I want to come in. And, and they would always say like, man, you're more than welcome. I love it. My guys probably can't afford it, but you know, Hey, if you want to come train, cool. And what I would do, and th- this really wasn't by design, it just happened. And it ended up becoming like a show and tell. I'd roll in the geese and everybody would like pass them it's around. Like a pop-up yeah, thing, exactly. And they'd pass them around and they'd ask me questions and then we'd train. And um and it was amazing, you know. It was just it was it was a really good time. So like, you get to tell the story. You get to tell the story. I get to train jujitsu. I get to travel, right. meet new people. At that time in my life, it was it was really cool. It was really fun. You know, it's interesting when I listen to that story, uh, and I, I think I knew a little bit about it, but when I think, so we're talking about history and kind of like how manufacturing was such a big part of this and went away, but even before many went away and now we're bringing it back, 
even before that, when we think about like the, the traveling salesman, I don't know, back that's doing that from town to town, you know, the guy that's going door to door, you know, back in the, back in the fifties or, you know, forties or twenties, thirties or twenties or whatever, who's trying to sell a specific product, you know, whether he believes in it or not, like it's literally, you're grinding. Like Mm -hmm. this is boots on the ground, like guerrilla marketing, uh, just getting out. But it was really about telling the story and, and getting people bought into the story, uh, which was the, which was the, the ground roots. And again, like there was a lot of things going on with origin before you came along, but yeah. to think that that was, that was the kind of the jumping in point for you to where you are now. That's, that's a pretty cool story. Man. Thank yeah. you. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting how it is, you know, progressed and, um, you know, I, it was, it was easy. Well, I had zero sales experience, zero. I hadn't sold anything ever before that really. So and to me, I didn't even consider myself like a salesman. I was more like just an advocate. I was like, I'm an advocate for the brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, hey, if you want, I know what I always tell the instructor, like, hey, if you want, I can set you up with this wholesale account. Like, it's zero pressure. Like, I'm not going to be calling you and mm-hmm. pushing you and shit. Like, you just tell me if your guys like what they saw and they want to order. You know, we have a program and here's the information and just call me. Right. And I would leave it at that. I only never started a wholesale account with one place I ever visited. Wow. And you know what they said? If it wasn't the American made thing that sold them, mm-hmm. it was the fact that somebody showed up and gave talk. a shit to visit their school and talk to their students. And I would also offer to train with everyone. So I would say, I will roll around with everyone who wants to roll and I'll stay here as late as I need to. And there was a few schools where it was like, 45 people would want, I'd be like, Hey guys, like two minutes each. Like I can't do, you know, five hours of training. I'm not like, thankfully I was in competition, uh, mode back then. Like I was actually in like a good condition for jujitsu. Like I actually wanted to compete. Um, so that was helpful, but I would. And, uh, it was, it was cool. Yeah. And that's what, that's the kicking off point. And I ended up getting to a point where I was selling more than we were like, we had sold couldn't keep more. Up. Well, not only could the factory not keep up, but it financially didn't work because we were selling more, more wholesale, wholesale. Yeah. than retail. You tipped the scale. I did. Yeah, you tipped the scale, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and at that point, he's like, uh, okay, so. So then what's the next step? He's like, would you consider moving to Maine? And oddly enough, I had had a, um, me and my uh, former business partner and, and my first jiu-jitsu instructor, who's a, a, a great friend of mine, He'd come off tour. Remember, we were, we were talking about oh, that. Right, right, he had right. come off tour. And, you know, for whatever reason, he and I weren't seeing eye to eye. And we had had a couple, you know, falling out type conversations. As Just, things happen in business. It, it does. And I remember we had like, um, we had one. Then I was like, man, I, I don't see this lasting much longer. Writing's and, on the wall. Yeah. And later that day. Pete called me and he's like, same day, same day, same day. It might've been an hour later. <laughs> okay. All right, man. I, cause I went, I went from, I, I lived like two minutes from the gym. My wife and I lived like two minutes from the gym. It literally, I would pull out of my driveway I'd turn left, land at the gym. Like it was right there. I, I have the conversation. I come home. I, I remember I'm in my kitchen. He calls me 
and he's like, would you consider like moving back to Maine? And we, we talked about what that would look like. And, you know, and I had talked about nutrition. I'm like, dude, we got to do nutrition at some point. Like, like still in there. Still yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point he's like, but I need help with this. I need help with origin. I got off the phone. I walked in the other room, told my wife, Hey, we're moving back to Maine. And she signs off for this. She's like, okay. Yeah. Moon, sun, and stars. And what's weird is like prior to that, she, she would have never moved back to Maine. Like she's not from here. We met here in high school. Um, we dated, we broke up and, okay. and she was living in Florida at the time when I moved her to Ohio with me and she had zero interest in moving back to Maine. Her family's not here. So it's like, it just, it didn't make sense. And she had always said, no, no, no. But when I finally went to her, cause I hadn't talked to her about it in a while. So when I finally went to her and, and asked her and I'm like, well, that was easy. Why? She's like, well, I've seen what you've done over like the last year and how this thing has grown and I see where it's going and, and you're obviously all in. So I support it. Let's Makes go. Sense. Yeah. And, uh, we, we packed, packed up, up and I rented out my house cause I, um, another crazy <laughs> and, and, uh, ended up being a good financial decision I made was we were, I, I had graduated. Okay. She was still finishing a program at the same university because I had enrolled her. And I was running my shop teaching jujitsu. And I sold my NSX and I had cash. And this is the car comes back around. This is 2011. The poor financial decision that had happened five, six years earlier or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, six, seven years. Yep. And, uh, she and I had a decision to make. They're like, do we go ready? We were in an apartment and we knew that the, like the lease was coming up in, you know, like six months or something. And I'm like, what do we do? And I was like, well, let's see. Like I'm in Ohio three years after the recession. The crash. Yeah. I, we went and put bids in cash on a bunch of houses and we ended up getting one. And, um, we were like, okay, we're going to work on it and make it livable for like the next six months. And then we'll move in. And she's like, well, we have enough time. And I'm like, probably not. So we buy the house, we close. And like two weeks later, I get like an eviction letter and I'm like, okay. And we were in a weird living situation at the time. So it was like a temporary thing, but we expected to have like six months or maybe even a little bit longer. So I, I went into, into the house, by the way, we bought it from the bank. Okay. It had four feet of standing water in the basement. I was just going to say like, anytime these things happen at that particular time, you're, yeah, it's usually not a good situation. There was, I didn't have money for mold remediation. So I went and bought like respirators, like a hazmat suit, oh, tanks. And I went in and I did research on like what chemicals to use that were also not going to give us like cancer in right. 10 years. Right. And, um, Holy God. And, and I went in, pumped the basement, sprayed everything. The downs, the basement was finished. So it was all two by fours and drywall. I had 55, like 50 gallon trash bags through the basement. It looked like it was some, something out of a murder scene. Oh, gross. And it was just like dumpster load after dumpster load. And, and it just took, and we, we really, and it just got worse and worse. Like we went to peel up the kitchen floor and it was just layers upon layers upon layers. And that's always the case. And it, and it was so, it got so frustrating for me one day where I actually took a, a circular saw and I went around, I, I, I measured, like I drilled a hole, I measured the depth. 
I measured the circular saw and I just went around the kitchen and just literally cut the whole thing up. And I went into the basement and, and took a sledgehammer and pounded it all up. And so we were in a, so our kitchen, we're living here. Our kitchen was, uh, uh, OSB boards laying over, uh, over the rafters. Yeah. The ra- yeah. And the Joyce's, or the Joyce's. Yeah. And, um, you can see the basement below folding tables and like a toaster oven. Oh man. No, no running water in the, I love in the this kitchen. Story. Just, just grinding and being resilient. Oh, and, it's ridiculous. And suffering. Yeah. And it's awesome. But I'm at the time I'm 20, I don't know how old was I? 26, let's say. And, but just bought a house cash. Zero debt. Running a business, right? Yeah. And, you know. You, and at that, of course, I didn't need to make a killing. Like, I had no car payment. Mm-hmm. I had no mortgage payment. Um, my student loans hadn't kicked in yet. So, I'm like, I don't need to make that much. My shop was doing okay. I'm teaching jujitsu lessons. like, And, um, yeah, I just, um, yeah, that was crazy. But that was one of those crazy decisions I made. And we ended up, you know. Fixing it with all cash. Taking risks. Never had a loan on it once. There's a bit of timing there. There's a little bit of luck, right? There's a little bit of timing. Absolutely. But there's also, there's the risk factor. Just, this is what we got to do. Yeah. Most people at that time wouldn't just like go dump their cash into like a random abandoned shitty home and say, I'm going to fix it myself. By the way, I have zero carpentry experience. I learned everything on YouTube. I went and bought tools in YouTube and that was it. You're being self-reliant, man. You're figuring the shit out. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's like the company. Yeah. Right? Again, it just speaks to the to the where origin is and who the people at origin are and how it's gotten to where it is and why it's going to continue to go. It's because, all right, the shit broke. We're going to figure it out. Like, yep. We're going to, as Jocko would say, we're going to cover and move. Yep. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we decided we're going to move. I uh, decided to rent the place out because, like, hey, it'll be an income stream. Mm-hmm. And the market wasn't that good at the time. So I was like, why sell it? Um, let's just hold on to it. We don't own anything. That was the first time I learned about renting. Um, that was a tuition payment and, uh, probably broke even on, you know, renting it for like two years. So, uh, lesson learned, but, uh, and I, I know a lot more. I have rentals now, but I learned a lot more. Uh, again, learning experience. Yep. So character builder too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, learn a lot of patience when you have a shitty tenant. So I, we, we find a place in Maine, we move back within a matter of, you know, a couple months and I land in April of 16 and by June of 2016, Pete and I had bought a, uh, a small niche supplement brand within the jujitsu community and rebranded it. So, so there's already an existing brand, right? Is this, is this brand white labeling some other? Yeah, per, okay. it kind of, yeah. There was yeah. no like no original formulas or yeah, anything. Gotcha. The stuff wasn't bad and it was in line with like my values when it comes to product. It was using, um, instead of artificial sweeteners or, or, uh, or sugar, it was using stevia at the time. So, uh, which was fairly new then. Um, it was probably considered the better choice at the time. At the time, right. it was considered the better choice. But stevia is not my favorite natural sweetener. So, um, and it definitely wasn't back then before the different Reb versions. Mm-hmm. So, we ran with it for a year. And How'd then, it go? Oh, terrible. Well, talk about that. So, we bought this brand and what we thought was, okay, we have, you know, I remember this guy, Bill, who sold it to us and Pete got together the first time. And they ran a, um, 
basically a crossover and they realized that there was a massive overlap between the consumers, like some, a lot of the same consumers, like 20 or 30%. So it was like, oh, wow, that's significant. Well, what we didn't realize is that the people that this brand was called Q5 for those that still remember it. Okay. And Bill had built this like cult, like intimate and in, like uh, relationship with those consumers. And I think that's the reason why he sold it is because he realized like, I can't, I can't continue this. to maintain, I can't grow it. Like I can probably maintain it, but I can't grow it. And this is all it's going to be. Yes. And, um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't like deceptive by any means. I think he thought, Hey, these guys are going to take it and they're going to grow it to the next level. Cause they're going to, you know, repackage it as origin. They're going to tell the story and everything. And that's exactly what we did. So we took that brand and we purchased it outright. We rolled it into origin and it was, um, you know, me, Pete and, uh, by default, uh, Pete's original founding partner, Dedeco. Uh-huh. And, uh, we had one other like uh, cash investor. And of course me at the time I have paid off home. What am I going to do? I went, now I got my first mortgage on the house. <laughs> you had a, so I well, went, I went, I went you owned your home, home outright. outright. I had two at the time actually that I owned outright okay. at that All time. Right. And I went and, Who um, takes cash out of an already paid for home? Psychos. <laughs> Uh, idiots people that really they're going all in yeah. on themselves and the people around them i'm very thankful that i that i did it and and i'm very thankful that i didn't listen to the people that told me i was crazy right like, dude what are you doing you have this paid off home you have- same same people that work for somebody else their whole life and aren't happy doing that there's nothing more wrong with working for somebody my point is is like always r- risk averse yeah right? just completely terrified they're living in fear and, and i'm also lucky at the time that you know, the person I'm spending the most time with is Pete. Like he and I had built that relationship and we had, we were literally in our downtown office that quick, uh, in the church street commons building before we had moved downtown. So Pete and I were like down there and we're one-on-one working on the business, but trying to work more on than for the business. Yep. And, and which is very hard at that stage, Yep. but we're, we're, we're trying and it definitely was, it definitely was helpful, but I'm sitting with him, like his office, my office, and he's crazy. Like he, he's, he's crazy. He'll, he'll tell you that he's crazy. So I have him to bounce my ideas right. off. And I'm like, everybody's telling me I'm crazy. He's like, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm on my, my third mortgage, right. like on the same property in this thing. Like, it's so going all in, all in. Yeah. so I'm like, okay, let's do it. Like, let's, let's go all in. So, and that's what I did. And, um, I actually, because we weren't, we weren't killing it back then. And, you know, it was everything we were making, we were reinvesting back into the business. So I literally took out more than I needed against the home to live off of while we went down this endeavor. Mm-hmm. So I really went all in and dumped the you know majority of that into that business purchase. We rolled it into origin as a subdivision and, and it was called origin labs. And we had kept the Q5 kind of like subtle and everything. And uh, Pete, as a designer, made it look beautiful, like added integrated color and functions and features. And he really commercialized the packaging because before it was like literally black and white. It was terrible. The most of the package was like that stupid Q5 logo. Okay. And it was just, it was shit packaging. And he made it look beautiful. We relaunch it. We roll out. We get email campaigns set up better. You know, we, we really optimize everything. 
And we lose 60% of the business overnight. 60% be- cut be- like because that. Bill, is it Bill? Doesn't be- own it anymore. He's not attached to it. Bill's gone. I had a relationship with Bill. I trusted Bill. I don't know who the fuck Pete and Brian are. Right. Who are you guys? There's a million other supplement companies out there that probably charge less or whatever else. Yeah. It, it just, there's, uh, there's a lot of reasons. Yeah. But probably more the personal connection. It, it was because, you know, we did our, you know, for the level of which we understood how to do due diligence back then, we had done our due diligence on the business and it was all legit. But the one thing that I never like considered doing was going back and looking at like old emails, like what his old emails to customers. Yeah. He was writing like personalized emails to these people, individual customers. I mean, he, 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 he had to have been like doing this all day long, every, every day, day just yeah. to get that level of business. So when they lost Bill, they're like, I'm out. And uh, that was a, a big uh, tuition payment, as we say. A tuition payment. So, like, uh, you know, we're putting it in. We put all this in, and we're not getting anything out of it right now. We, it's just in hopes of maybe getting something out of it later. Yeah. So it sits still then. Did we just kind of put it on the back burner and go with the geese? Like, when does Jocko come into this? No, uh, we're, we're, we're grinding on it still. Okay. Like we're trying, we're running ads. We're, we're introducing new products. Um, we're sourcing new manufacturers cause we want to pivot from kind of this private label to like our own formulas. We realize, okay, like we have to rebuild this. We have to rebuild this. Yeah. And, and that transition didn't work. Thankfully we didn't like, yeah, I was in debt, but it wasn't like, I don't know. If the business had folded, it would have obviously sucked. But, you know, for me, I look at it like, okay, we would have pivoted and done something We would have figured it out. Yeah, we would have figured it out always. And um, so around that same time, we're we're in those offices still. We hadn't moved downtown to the factory. This woman, Sarah Armstrong, uh, amazing person, reaches out to us. And she's like, hey, guys. Um. I know you're head down grinding, but this guy, I don't know if you know him. His name is Jocko. He's trying to get a hold of you. So you should answer your fucking phone. Probably a good idea. It's probably a good idea. And so I guess he had been for at that time for a couple of years, every time that he would get asked, cause he would do Q and a sessions every time he would get asked, where should I? Cause all he did was talk about jujitsu, right? Yeah. Um, where do I buy a gi? He would always say, there's some crazy guys in Maine. There's this guy, Pete in Maine who started a factory and, and, and like with old equipment, from you got to wait eight yeah. weeks to get it. If you're lucky, you know, and just like back order, back order, back order, but American made, but it's American, American made. Yeah. And he believed in it. You know, he's a true Patriot. So, um, he just wanted to be a part of it. Even if he was just helping spread the message. And of course we dove in and built a relationship and realized like he's way more valuable than that. And ultimately he became a, a, a massive equity partner. And when he came on, he realized we were doing supplements. And, you know, we, we all sat down and had a conversation and he's like, you know, I want to do supplements, but I was tainted by the supplement industry and the industry as a whole back when the consumer products thing came out, when, you know, the protein drinks, the, the ready to drink proteins and stuff um, and powders you know, the consumer report came out that some brands had some elevated heavy metals. Cause I want to make it clear. A lot of people don't understand this. There's heavy metals in everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's parts per, you know, million, billion and trillion mm-hmm. in everything. They come from the ground. So it, it's all of your of vegetables, they're part everything. of everything. Yeah. 
It's just what's the quote unquote acceptable level. Exactly. And, and what's being reported versus what's really in there. Right. Those are, those are exactly. And so the consumer report did come out and they were pretty excessive on some products. And one of the products was something that he had been consuming and actually he was giving to his kids, kids. because they were all like athletes. Mm-hmm. And that really like, you, it's fried Jocko. Him. Come on. Fried him. Yeah, yeah. It, it fried him. So he, he really got burned um, as a whole from that industry. So he's like, man, can, can we make supplements and, and not do that? Can we do it right? And I'm like, yeah. And that's really where I started using that term. Like, um, you got to choose people before profits. Mm-hmm. Like you got to put the people before profits and that's it. Like, yeah, we'll do extra due diligence. We'll, it's going to take a little longer. It's going to cost longer. a little bit more. Yeah. But in the end, you're doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we have a process internally. Uh, I don't actually know of any other supplement brand that's doing it. And I know a lot of other people in the industry, but uh, most of them rely on their co-manufacturer, mm-hmm. um, which by the way is completely uh, legit. And legal, their co-manufacturer, what they'll do when they're done, if it's GMP, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's GMP, what they'll do is when the product is done uh, with manufacturing, it'll get sent off to a third-party lab. So any, any like a lot of people don't know this, but any GMP manufactured product is sent off to a third-party lab um, for, for testing. For testing, yeah. for assay. For, for, yeah, exactly. So, so for those people that are listening that don't know what GMP is, general manufacturing practices, right? Yeah. It's stamped on the side of the, you'll see the little stamp of approval, if you will, on the side of the product. Yeah. It really means that like that per, that particular facility is, is maintaining a certain level of quality. They're and, sending it out to somebody to have a look at it. Yes. Yeah. And, and, um, it's a third party lab that they have no influence over. It's very, it's actually a very, um, a very good process. There's an, there's an integrity to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of them, they have the ability to bring that in house and it would save a lot of time and probably even some money, but they know that it's really covering it's their a ass. It's a conflict of interest. It is a conflict. It really is. Uh, no matter how much of a good job you do, like if you have control to make a bad decision, you have opportunity to, to make, make a bad decision. Make yeah. So, um, where was I? Well, we were, we we're just getting into the, the development of the product, Jocko being fried, you, you guys going down the path of yes. like, how do we do this the right way? It's going to take a little longer to get there. Yeah. So that extra time. So one, one thing we do, that's what it was. One thing we do that other brands don't do. Um, I don't know of any other, I should say that. And we have a gentleman who works for us who worked as the head quality manager at one of the biggest nutraceutical companies that has a very pharmaceutical look. He was the head of QC and they don't even do this. We actually bring in. So obviously we do that testing through the manufacturer, Mm -hmm. but we also require that they send us multiple cases of each lot of every product, every time it's ran and it comes in and we actually do our own redundancy internal testing and hold our own retains, which is not required by the FDA. I was introduced to this yesterday. It's very impressive. It's it's something that I required because when that happened, when when we when we rolled out the, you know, we were gonna go with Jocko products and put his name on it, especially, not just endorsed by it's <laughs> yeah. Jocko's products. Yeah. I don't just have like 
like the, obviously the biggest concern is like health and safety for the consumer. The consumer. Number one. However, however, I think I know what you're about to say here. I have this dude's legacy. Among other things. I mean, I, uh, uh, and, and, and our reputation on the line, right? Like he's look. At, I mean, think about all. The I mean, I talked about, I talked about not wanting to see a pissed off Pete. If I, I would never want to see a pistol. I might actually like poke the bear to see pissed off to be entertained. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to piss off Jack. Oh man. Um, but, I mean, he knows too many people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Yes, he does. Uh, I'm being, I'm being, no, no, no. that's a little bit of tongue in cheek there, but at the same time, like I get where you're coming from. I mean, the responsibility now is exponential. Yes. You know? Right. So, so I was like, what can we do to go above and beyond? And, and that's what we did. And we still, we still practice that gotcha. today. Um, and it's not required of us. So, and you know, I also saw the business advantage of it because like, for instance, let's say we have a get customer, customer complaint. If our customer service, or if, we, if some, if a brand has a quality person, which a lot of people don't, um, we do, we have a quality manager. If that customer service or quality manager gets a complaint, right. Um, that's beyond, uh, let's say, um, just like product quality because there's product quality complaints and then there's adverse events and then there's serious adverse events. So there's three forms of complaints. If it's a product quality complaint, like if you are shipping the product, which again, we ship our own, we have our own fulfillment facility. Most brands don't, they use a three PL. Right. So they have to then call the three. So they outsource customer service. They outsource the three PL. So let's say their corporate headquarters, which is a couple people in an office, uh, or some dude's cell phone. So, I was just going to say somebody's if like, it's, garage. Yes. Yeah. Um, they'll call the, the, um, the 3PL and they'll be like, can you go look at our product and tell me if there's leaky seals, if there's leaky seals. And they get a rye on like some outsourced third-party person right. to like give them a verifiable. It's then, somebody that doesn't care, that works for somebody else that doesn't care, you know, that's under the huge umbrella of somebody else that doesn't mm-hmm. care. And then that's if they still have that lot there at the 3PL. Right. And if you're actually doing business and moving product, they don't stay on the shelf long. So we have a retain room. So our quality manager can get alert alerted from customer service and literally walk upstairs to the retain room, go find that actual lot and look at the seals. It's like walking into a, like a seed bank, you know, yeah. for, for, for a grower that, yep. that has every seed that's ever they've ever had that has access to it right now. It's like this library, yep. if you will, like an, an almost like evidence room where you can go pull whatever you need. And we've had quality issues from um, a packaging integrity standpoint, like everybody does. Thankfully we haven't had, you know, knock on wood. Thankfully we haven't had like uh, micro and, and health concern issues, mm-hmm. but we've had packaging. Like we, we use an East coast manufacturer for our energy drink, the go energy drink. We used to have two. We used to have a West Coast one. And, um, you know, they they screwed up and they they messed up the, they over, basically what they did was they over crimped the seals. So the aluminum, what happens is it goes into the lid and it curls around mm-hmm. and it gets a crimp. They over crimped it. So what it was doing is it was going all the way through and binding. Cut, okay. So it was actually running into the end, which it's not supposed to. So they were over seaming and it was leaving little pockets. And then what would happen is it would leak right. and then it would get on the uh, cardboard carton and it would mold. So customers were getting like moldy cases and you know, so um, can't have that. No, you can't have that. But because we were able to literally go to the retain room, we could, you know, see what shut off. Where is it coming from? Yeah. yeah. You know, and we had, 
we had, um, I think I can talk about this. I mean, it's, I, we, we had, um, probably a quarter million dollars worth of that product sitting at Amazon and, uh, we had to get it out of, ha- have there. it destroyed, wow. have to have it destroyed. Wow. And, and it was like, boom, it was destroyed. So most people don't know this, but when that happens and most of our business is done through our website, but Amazon is, um, and like retailers, but Amazon is a, is a decent piece. And when it's at Amazon in their warehouses, you don't have a lot of insight and control over it. So you can't track which lot is where, which is a, something they really need to work on. So we had as a whole, like we had it like, let's say 50,000 of that 200 or 250,000 is actually affected, but we can't segment it. Oh. We have to destroy it all. And then because Amazon is insanely slow at destroying the product, like we're talking months. So you have new products you need to get in there and you can't and you send don't want it to in mix until it up. Well, you can't, you can't send it in until it's destroyed. So then they wow. took, so we lost, you know, three or four months worth of sales on top of that. So two, 250K yeah. plus another, yeah. whatever that equates to. So nevertheless, the, 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 I handled the negotiation, but the, the West coast manufacturer, they paid up. Yeah. And, um, we were lucky because most of them try not to, and they, they want to litigate and, or take it to, uh, insurance and things like that. No, we, it just takes forever to try to get through the yeah. process with no guarantee on yeah. the back end. I got on the phone with, with, with the, the, the founder there and I, I made it very clear, like, you got to rectify this and you need to rectify it now. We've got some big guns here. Yeah. yeah I'm just like, oh, you don't want to piss off. Like it's, it's the wrong team to piss yeah, off. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I'm not talking about me. Yeah. Like, just, this whole circle, man, it's, it's a lot of people. I'm the least dangerous in the group. Could ruin you. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of personalities there too. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, we take quality very serious. And, um, you know, when Jocko said, can we do it right? I, that I really was like, yeah, we're going to make, you know, efficacious product at the highest quality standards. And, um, you know, if we have to sacrifice margin, then that's what we'll do. Period. So let's get into the products a little bit, because I mean, the, the, the go energy drink is obviously very popular and it's actually how I, I knew about origin brands, but I didn't recognize the, the connection once the name turned over to Jocko fuel brands. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that. It took me some time and and it started with the drink and, like the whole CPG stuff is an interesting. Um, it's fascinating to me. It's a it's a it's a wild industry. But I know a couple of things about the drinks and and the fact that you guys are. When did the drink start? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 2019. Okay, so we're yeah, just we, coming we're, in on yeah. five or four years or something like almost five from the inception. Yeah. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. 2016, 2019. We had drinks and then. You know, we launched Origin Labs, which is what bought Q5 right. in June of 2016. So we call that really, but we didn't launch our first Jocko product until I think the end of 2017. That was with like, was that joint warfare? It was Krill Oil. Oh, it was the Krill. It was the oh, very first gotcha. product. So I'm going to the drinks because this is a risky business, right? I mean, the drink industry is massive, right? And when yes. you start getting into this, this end of it, you've got the world of quote unquote energy drinks is wild. I mean, you got the, whatever's the three or four big ones out there. I won't say who they are. Everybody knows who they we are. We can talk about them. Yeah. I mean, you got bang, you got Red Bull yeah. and you know, monster and rockstar, right? I mean, and Celsius. So Chris, Celsius right. is actually number three now. So they've overtaken bang. Is that right? 
I'm, well, I'm pretty sure that yeah. that actually doesn't surprise me based on what I know kind of about the companies and how they operate. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So the, which is a whole other part of this. Right? Yeah. And, and, and what I think spells longevity in this business, you've already mentioned quality control. It's a lot to do with the people and pissing people off and then being able to get yourself out of situations or work through, you called it a negotiation, uh, when things didn't go right with the manufacturer, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and so forth. Like these are all very critical things in the, in the big, bigger picture. But this is what I know. I think then the first year there's like a 95% failure rate in, in the drink business, right? And it's, 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 super it's like high. on par with starting a restaurant. It's super high, right? Yeah. I think at five years, it's 99%, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, you have to make it past that point and then you can kind of get stuck in like this weird middle ground at that point. So if you make it through there, Right. Then it's like, now what do you do? And a lot of people end up getting bought out or sold out or whatever. That's clearly, that's not what you guys are doing. Yeah. Right. You, you're looking at this in the, in the long, for the long play where maybe a lot, some of these other companies is like, Hey, let me make the money while I can. And, you know, we'll get out whatever way we can in the end, whether that's to close up shop or sell out or whatever else. I find it interesting that you guys came in with this drink and you're doing it as well as you have. I was at this, I was at the, sorry, the distribution facility yesterday, 17 employees. Yes. like 17 employees there are getting this stuff across the United States of America um, and into some major distri- you know, distribution centers. You mentioned Amazon as being one of those. I'm stunned at the efficiency of which the company runs, but I think we can talk a little bit more about that later. I'm mm-hmm. just like with what you've been able to do as a small company um, – Particularly, again, I started with the drinks, but with all the products. And I want to talk about those products because it seems to me some of them may have been sitting on the shelf and you were just waiting for the right time. And you already mentioned like you had this book in your head and yeah. then you had formulations and whatever else. And how that timing works and how you how you you plan out or, or what's the strategy to putting this stuff out? Because And you haven't – I'm going to say this. Maybe this sounds um, – I don't know. I hope this isn't insulting, mm. but you're not doing anything weird. Like is protein, right? Mm-hmm. There's the krill oil. There's the brand new product, which is the creatine, which I want to talk about. Cause I think that's, there's some interesting things there to talk about. Like, why did you wait so long to put it out there? Yeah. Uh, we talk about that, but um, again, the, the joint warfare, like these are all common products that people use on a regular basis and you're just kind of launching them one at a time and you're being wildly successful with it ending with the the latest one which being the creatine which is a huge success so far apparently mm-hmm. so yeah can we talk just about the process and where you're going I know that was a lot of you know I just said a lot of things there but how are you doing it the way you're doing it with in the small size that you have well you you hit on two things so we can talk about the drink thing and then we can talk about like um kind of the product roadmap and how that has flowed um, I guess I'll start there. So in the beginning, it was literally Jocko saying, like we talked about, because of course, like it, it's, it's, it's a business. So I said, Jocko, typically what will happen is you and I will sit down and, um, you know, Pete did all of the design, but when it comes to like what products I said, we, we need to decide like what you want to roll out. Cause you need a lineup. And he's like, no. And I'm like, okay, tell me why. And he's like, we're going to roll out only what I want to roll out. And we're going to do it one at a time hmm. and we're going to build the products I want to consume because I don't really give a shit if people buy it. I just want to make it for myself. And I was like, that's an interesting approach, man. Um, well, that's probably not the most optimized business approach that I would at that time would have 
taken. Um, I obviously learned a lot. So we did that and it was, um, it was krill oil. The krill oil, right. And then it was joint warfare. Mm. And then it was the first discipline powder, which was a non-stim endurance based pre-workout really built around jujitsu. And, um, that was my very first, uh, experience in flavoring, you know, I'm learning on the go. And, uh, that's when we really opted for monk fruit, right? As the sweeter. Yep. Yep. And there's, there's, I mean, I could go down a rabbit hole there, but it was one by one and it got to a point where I'm like, Jocko, we're, we're no longer building products for you anymore. Yeah. We're not going to launch like multiple products at a time. Like we kind of have a small lineup and it's evolving and it, there, there was a point in time when he just finally said like, Basically, I trust you're going to build what people want. Now just go and just let me be good with it before it it goes out there. And then, you know, he signs off on it and we're good. And the first one that was, I would say, outside of the box for Jocko Mm -hmm. was greens. Mm -hmm. And he's like, sell it to me. And I was like, you eat steak and potatoes. Every day, all day. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, check. Because every once in a while, I'll have a Caesar salad, but that's about it. It's not exactly a big vegetable guy. Right. He'll eat his handful of nuts. And um, he, he's, he's he's very much like a carnivore, you know? I mean, he eats other shit, but it's, uh, yeah, he's a meat eater. So I was like, dude, like we all, because I'm, I'm actually like the same way. Like I eat a lot of red meat. And I'm like, dude, we all, like, I don't, go out of my way to eat salads and, and, and make sure that my, my plate is diverse and in, in colors. And it's like, we actually need this, but it's actually a popular product. And I think that I can make a better product. And he said, well, how are you going to make it better? Like, well, we'll use all, not just some, but all organic fruits and vegetables. It'll be balanced between, you know, green, like everybody's like, why don't you do a reds? I'm like, like, did you not see our formula? It's like half fruits, half vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the ones you want, uh, the second ingredient isn't soy lecithin, like some other products. I'm so chuckling over here, yeah, under my breath. Um, and then of course we, you know, I told Jocko, I'm like, and how I'm going to sell it to you is, it's actually going to taste good. Like, it, not just say that, but it's actually going to taste good. He's like, how are you going to do that? Like, just leave it to me. Like, we'll 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 make it taste. Figure good. it out. Yeah. yeah. He what he didn't know is because I'm not using. Like the majority of it isn't, you know, wheatgrass or, you know, and nothing wrong with wheatgrass, trust me, but the majority of it isn't the cheapest shit ingredient. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's not. By the way, wheatgrass tastes like shit. Yes. Yeah. yeah, It does. But, um, or it's not full of, you know, like a soy lecithin. Mm -hmm. And listen, we could go back and forth on the science of whether soy is good for men or women or whatever. And we don't need to debate that. But at the end of the day, we just opt to say, if you want to get it, get it somewhere else. Yep. Cause you're probably going to get it anyways. It's in everything. Yep. Um, so that said, I was like, it's actually going to be easier because we started off with better ingredients. We don't have to cover shit up. So it's not like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, we're starting with an easier platform. So funny you say that. Like, so I was just over at a friend's house for like a friend's giving and mm. there's, you know, we're, the food is just super good. It's just rich, right? And this, this, this lady, makes a killer dessert and when she hears this she'll 
you still get a chuckle out of this. <laughs> she makes uh she makes these biscotti cookies mm. and we get them in like the holidays and at our birthdays and stuff like that. And I'm like, these are the fucking best biscotti I've ever had in my life. I'm like, what's the trick? I go, well, is this like a secret family recipe or whatever else? She goes, nope, it's just quality ingredients. You just like quality ingredients and it yeah. makes all the difference in the world in the end product. Um, and everybody recognizes it, right? They don't recognize that it's about the quality of the ingredients. When you, when you eat it, they just recognize like this tastes different yeah. than anything else. And people are so used to the convenience and getting shit ingredients and the hyper palatability of the food that they eat because of all the added ingredients they have to make, put in there to keep the cost down and make it taste good. Right, that they don't even understand what good ingredients are when they taste them. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah, I mean, so this is a challenge. Right? Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, it kind of goes back to like building geese or boots. You know, if you start off with a, a good platform, if you start off with good raw materials, mm-hmm. you don't have to cover up shit. You know, it's like you're you're building from a good found. It's like building a home on a good foundation, mm-hmm. right? So, um, that's what we did with the greens, and he tasted it, and he's like, "Wow, these." I actually want to drink these. Like that's the that's the key. He's like, I was like every other greens product that that anyone in my network and myself have tried. You have to like, you have to mix it with something. You that's shouldn't going have your, to make a cocktail yeah, it, with your greens. There's a concoction, and that's going to be part of it. And there's usually something else. It's extra berries. It's that sweeter oh, yeah. protein powder that you have, or whatever that you've got to mix it with in order to get it down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you're almost you're chugging it down. Because if, if you get a, a whiff of it, it just ruins the entire experience. Yeah, it doesn't taste like you you went out and tried to mow your mow your lawn with your mouth. So I think like, most people listening to this that have ever had a greens product can relate to this. Yeah. So that was that was the first time, and 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 it was a little bit of a sell. And same thing with Pete. Um, when Pete finally got it, experienced it, tried it, he's like, "This is." He 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 saw it, and he was the first one after me trying to pitch it. Like guys, like we gotta, yep. we gotta get on this. Um, he he was the first one, and he's like, "This is gonna be our biggest product," and he was right. Like, our as far as like single, currently today, as far as single, not including like all of the canned flavors and all the retail, but like, let's say direct to consumer and Amazon single product, um, number one product right now. Period. Like it's just, and 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 we also got super aggressive with our um like our ads and shit. Like mm-hmm. I, like I, uh, I did like a side by side comparison of the, the, the verse, the top competitor that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. And we put their bag front and center. And it was just like, this is theirs. This is ours. You make the decision. Oh, and it's half the cost. Oh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> half the price, same servings, you know? And, um, the only, the only thing that we ever get asked about is they're like, well, the vitamins aren't as high. I'm like, well, we don't add vitamins. You're not. It's not a multivitamin. Like if you want a multivitamin, go, go, go take a multivitamin. Mm-hmm. Multivitamins alone, like a multivitamin. And that's the reason why we never did a multivitamin is because they're fucking cheap. Yep. Vitamins, singling like letter vitamins are cheap. Like right. you can get Centrum. Right. Flintstones is still the number one selling children's that's vitamin. That's crazy. In the world. Yeah. So- it's one of those things where we never launched me too products uh, and vitamin and a multivitamin was part of that. So in our greens product, we never were like, Oh, I need to, I, I never looked at it as like, we need to add vitamin. If somebody wants to take a multivitamin, take a multivitamin. They should be anyways. 
Everybody should be on a multivitamin, but as far as I'm concerned, it it just never was prioritized in our lineup, sort of like creatine, you know, and and through the evolution, we launched protein powders and we did a time release blend rather than just single form. And we used monk fruit, we added probiotics and digestive enzymes. Mm -hmm. And so it it really was a comprehensive uh, protein powder. And, you know, the, what did we get for reports? Oh, this doesn't give me bubble guts. You know, it doesn't give me the shits. It actually tastes good. I can't believe it's only monk fruit. It's no artificial sweeteners. I don't like stevia. So, uh, we sell a lot of milk. Yeah. So I was just going to get to that. So we talked about like the, the greens thing. We're moving into the protein powder. And so I've been using the milk for probably, I'm going to say probably the last three or four months. And I am hyper aware of what, what and mm. what happens to me when I put certain things in my system? I've been using whey protein for years. When I first started using whey protein, when it came out, it became popularized. It was a completely different product than it is yeah. now. Um, and I know, you know, when I put certain products in, it's like dropping a grenade down into my gut, right? And it happens immediately, and then it's just I'm having I'm going to war with myself for the next. <laughs> for several hours and even into the next day, right? And anybody that's, anybody that's been down this path understands what it is. But a lot of people don't know that, like, they're not paying attention to it. They're not aware of, like, the reason. Or I they think it. they have to deal with it. This is this is normal, yep. right? And the problem is it's become normalized. And mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of that has to do with the types, you know, the, the things that are in the protein powder, how it's being delivered. And I wonder if we could just talk about that for just a few minutes. Sure. Before we get into the creatine, because I want to talk about that too. But so – with the milk, there's a couple of things, and that is the digestive enzymes that you're putting in there, which I thought was really interesting and brilliant. I don't know anybody else that's doing that. Maybe there are. I just haven't come across that. Um, so there's 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 that piece. And also, I'm always very afraid when I look at things and I start to see the blends. Like whey proton isolate tends to, in the past, have been the easiest thing on my stomach. Yep. Um, when I put it in there, it's just it's ready to go. It just it generally doesn't um, doesn't bother me. But I also know there's in certain levels that can be inefficient from the absorption process because it goes through there so fast. Depending on who you are, how your gut's functioning, and so forth. But since I've been using the milk, I've not had any digestive problems, um, and their taste is great. And it's not just whey isolate. So maybe talk a little bit about the blend, how you put it to the product together, and then maybe we can get into. Some of the things that go into protein powders or claims that companies make about their protein powders that they should be aware of because most people, I just, a lot of people are on some type of protein powder and they, I don't think they fully understand what they're getting. It's more like it's either vegan or it's not, mm. right? And it either tastes good or it doesn't. And those are the two things people go by. And then they feel better, like, well, feel better emotionally, like, well, I'm taking my protein, so I'm getting my protein powder and, you know. It tastes good, so I'm good. It doesn't mess me up. Protein is an interesting one, and we actually use so we use um, we use grass fed protein mm-hmm. in our, uh, and that's a whole other conversation. But we use grass fed protein in our products. Period. In our ready to drink version. Now you're talking about the powder version, yep. and I and I mentioned this because there's a there's a, a connection here. In our ready to drink version. The, we use a certain type of protein that is for liquid use mm-hmm. and it actually to comes keep from, it in suspension. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and it comes from New Zealand, uh, which New Zealand is kind of like when it comes to this product, it's kind of, they're kind of like the gold standard it's where the happy cows live. That's where the happy cows live. Yep. Um, sustainability is huge there as well. If you're into that. Um, but nevertheless, like 
very, very high quality protein. Well, like if you think about Australia or New Zealand, that, that part of the world, very highly regulated. I mean, probably more regulated than anywhere with regard to the, the farming community, but also the supplement industry, like in, in terms of sports supplements. And they get it. They spend a lot of money on research out there. So any, anything, that's come, amount. anything that's coming, in fact, I tell this to people all the time. You want to learn about strength and conditioning? Go listen to the Kiwis and the Aussies. Like yeah. you want power and strength conditioning research? Listen to these these rugby guys, the guys that spend spend time with these world class athletes. They spend more time and money on any of this than anybody does. And as it re- relates to their nutrition, they're probably up there in terms of their the parallels between the nutrition end of things and the and the training end of things. So anyhow, happy cows, New Zealand. So the top New Zealand protein producer was actually up visiting us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we got to sit down and go through their presentation. And like, I know a lot, I, I know a decent amount about protein, but like the, this is like, um, it was one of their sales reps and then one of their like the on staff scientists essentially. And diving into the world of protein, like there really is a light year of difference between high and low quality protein. Okay. Um, everything from like how the cows are treated to the way they're processed and everything else. But the thing is, is like what people have to understand is you should force rank your protein decisions. In my opinion, by the overall protein profile. And what I mean by that is like, it doesn't matter like how well something is treated or if it's hot processed or cold processed or any of that shit, none of that matters if you're not getting a complete amino profile. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, if you're not getting a complete amino profile, then you're, you're you're really not getting the complete benefits of protein. So like a gram of whey protein, let's say, versus a gram of another plant-based protein that doesn't have all of the essential aminos that you need. It's not complete. Now there's some plant-based proteins that, you know, they say are complete, but Number one, the amino ratios, just because it has enough amino in it to say that it's complete doesn't mean that it has the right balance of aminos Mm -hmm. that are optimal for what most people are like. Most people are taking protein for muscle growth or muscle maintenance. Right. Right. Like it's one of those two things. I mean, yes, listen, consuming amino acids is essential for diet and Mm -hmm. and they have many more functions in the body than simply building or maintaining muscle. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, most of the time, people are taking it for that reason. I right? would agree. I, this is going to be a hard one to argue. Okay. Yeah. So even if you're getting a quote-unquote plant-based protein that is complete, they're typically not the same. They're, they're actually not the same ratios of an animal base. So there's step one. Step two is to get that, you have to include many forms of the different plant proteins to try and make that up. And there is some research that shows that certain ones individually aren't absorbed in the body and that is bioavailable and as bioavailable as they are from animal-based proteins. So, um, there's also something to be said that plant-based proteins in, you know, dairy and beef and, um, chicken and poultry and, uh, or sorry, and, uh, pork, like they all have complete protein of the amino acids that are bioavailable to us that are essential and ready for. So like, that's my like, okay, you should, I'm not going to try and convert you, but you should probably eat meat. 
Anyways, so let's say you don't, let's say you don't eat meat. Uh, um, yeah, you're gonna have to take a plethora of different uh, plant based proteins to get enough aminos and 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 hope that there is bioavailable. So, uh, if you're eating a plant based protein, you're getting you know complete proteins. So from there, most of the time, a cheap and readily available because milk itself, like milk, dairy milk has protein, and when you break up that protein, you have whey and casing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they digest at different periods. But when you break up general whey protein, um, it's really in the form of concentrate. Mm-hmm. And that has um, some lactose in it and some other things, right? And when you isolate that whey protein, the concentration of protein and those aminos increases by from like, let's say 80% of that to 90, 95%. You get more bang for your buck. You exactly. Mm-hmm. But it digests much, much more rapidly, super fast, yeah. and it hits the you know it floods the 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 bloodstream with those aminos mm-hmm. quickly, which is great for recovery after a workout. If you have the capacity to absorb that through your through your through your gut and through your bloodstream, for sure, because yeah. you may have gut issues that could well that you. that that is for sure. Yeah. yeah, if you have gut issues, like you're you're, I mean, you kind of want to address those first. Yeah, but. It's just just for putting that out there for people, because if they listen to the show, we talk about that frequently. Okay. So you're hitting right on the on the nail on the head. Like just because you're putting it in there doesn't mean you're getting it. Oh, absolutely. No matter where it's sourced or or how how well it's put together. But in your case, what you're thinking is is like, hey, okay, we're at this isolate piece. It's going to get in there and it's going to go through there really fast. Yeah. So my idea of like a perfect protein, especially post-workout, is one that allows you to get that rapid blast of aminos. Readily available. Boom, right there. But then there should be a trickling effect where, you know, you have isolate and then concentrate coming in and then casein and then egg. And then it's digesting over, let's say, a 12 to 18 hour window. This of is the aminos. ideal thing. Right? That's in, in a perfect world. Right. right. And um, so that's why we decided to include those, you know, obviously isolate and concentrate are both dairy proteins and, and as well as casein, but they digest at different ratios in the body. So they're feeding your body for your, uh, of the, with those amino acids for an extended period of time. Which is you know, ideal, with ideal place to be. Right? Yeah. So to me, it's like, you know, outside of including another animal-based protein, like a beef or something, which is probably not necessary because at the end of the day, like you're getting a complete protein and you're doing it over a long window. Um, that's probably sufficient for your needs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, boom, you know, step one, step two, uh, how do we do that and avoid that thing that has historically happened, which is wreck the gut distress yeah Yeah, gut distress um because it's kind of a lot to it's unnatural like let's be honest it's unnatural to to get that much in that rapid you know we've only been doing it for like let's say the last 50 years or something um at this level so yeah this large bolus of protein in liquid form right now ready to go yeah. yeah Yeah. And, and so with, with human evolution, like we haven't exactly had a lot of time to, to evolve, to accept that. So um, what can help do that? Um, adding some digestive enzymes that are going to ease the process. Mm -hmm. And of course there's a sprinkling of probiotics in there, which is, which is beneficial in the long term with consumption. It's not going to help with uh, the immediate effect, but it does help. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, as far as protein yeah. goes. Yeah, right. that's so you're answering the question. Okay. The way you're thinking or explaining it and where you've thought through the process is I can't do it all. Like no product can do it all perfectly. For sure. 
right? So how do we make the most efficient product? And I just want to take it back real quick to the way this whole thing started with Jocko and, mm. and with like, Hey, I want to give you, I want him saying, I want to roll it out one at a time with the products. I know I'm going to take the ones I need and you coming actually back over the top going as almost like a coach or a consultant going, Jocko, you need the greens. Yeah. Like you should be thinking about this differently and selling it to him in that sense. Cause him asking you to do that and then moving on into the protein and how you're thinking about it. This shouldn't take too much sales for people that have been using protein powder uh, for a long time, right? Uh, it, it shouldn't. And if you taste, I think it all at the end of the day boils down to taste. Probably 90% of somebody taking some type of protein powder once you get past the, is it vegan or not, right? Or animal-based exactly. is what does it taste like? So the, t- the stuff tastes amazing. Like I've had all the, all the, all the flavors, but that's, that's just my, my opinion on it. It's also how it's sweetened and or, or flavored i guess the sweetening comes with the sweetener comes with the flavoring but i'm talking about the digestive process and what you've thought about in terms of your body's ability to actually utilize the thing that you're spending your money on at the end of the day so for you if it takes us a little longer to get to this product and we can keep it competitive which is like right now margins margins in whey protein and protein powders are not good they're not, they're not great. They're very bad. They're very bad. Yeah. So, you know, coming on board with all the work and all the things that you put in, into that, we talked about the soy less at the end, and I'm told, I'm told the rumor is part of the reason the, the, some of what's going on in terms of the, the, the manufacturing of protein powder may have something to do with where this, the soy less at the end and and how it's how it's being manufactured which maybe you could talk to this a little bit i don't i can certainly talk yeah. are, you, are you talking about the price yeah i'm talking about pricing and um because yeah. most, i think the consumer may not really realize this yet but there's there's challenges happening within the supplement industry within the manufacturers and distributors with regard to uh sourcing product margins on product um and how that maybe directly relates to what you were just saying about how you're actually putting together your product and what other companies might be doing right now to overcome these challenges. Yeah, uh, I can speak to that. So um, the interesting thing is protein itself in, 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 in this powder form is obviously a commodity market. Yep. And that market through, through COVID shot through the roof. So the cost of actually protein, like the raw material, jumped um, a lot. Like to the point where at one point it had uh, basically doubled so oh, I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Where where let's say something was, you know, on a raw ingredient base was three fifty a pound and that was seven. Yeah. So, so anybody that puts gas in their car can recognize the recognize how that yeah. impacts you. And that's part of it, right? I mean, fuel transport stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. When fuel costs go up, everything goes up. So um that was part of it. Uh the other thing is we are uh oddly affected because all protein um without getting too much into it, but all protein typically has some form of lecithin attached to it, mm-hmm. a form of lecithin. And uh, we use sunflower lecithin because mm-hmm. we don't use soy. It's more expensive. Well, the problem is, do you know where the majority of sunflowers produce? I think it comes from Europe. I think it comes from Eastern Europe. It does. Yeah, it comes from Ukraine. <laughs> it comes from Ukraine. <laughs> so sunflower oil and sunflower lecithin uh, come predominantly from Ukraine. Boom. So that supply chain has completely been wrecked. Um, you know, so to avoid, uh, some of that craziness, we bulk bought and we got ahead of it Mm -hmm. and, um, we were able to pivot a little bit, but, uh, you know, all of our manufacturers with anything that had sunflower lecithin in it, 
uh, or sunflower oil, like we have some in our in the suspension in, or the, in, the, in the suspension yeah. of the fat base here in the, in the protein RTDs, which is a whole other conversation. Don't even get me going on seed oils. So mm-hmm. um, um, we just had a, we just did a full podcast on seed oils. Did you? Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. we should talk about it because I'm <laughs> I'm trying to help educate people. But um, that said, everybody is that was going what I consider the better or healthier route with sunflower lecithin. Mm-hmm is now switching back to soy or canola lecithin, which isn't kind of newly emerging for cost reasons. Yep. We've held the line. We just held the line. We're like, no, the, this is, this is the product. We'll continue to erode internal margin. If there's a point where we have to take price to the consumer, then we will, but we're not going to like, I would rather personally, I would rather go to the consumer and be like, listen guys, we've had the same price on this product since 2018. We need to take a $2 price increase or $4 price increase because we want to maintain the integrity of the product rather than behind the scenes. And without telling you swap out sunflower less than for soy less than, or, you know, monk fruit for stevia or something, you know, or, or reduce servings. That's another thing, you know, um, we've been, I, I should say I've been a big opponent against is like reducing servings. Like, oh, well, you know, if we reduce, You know, if it's 30 servings, let's go to 25 and we can maintain the same price. No, we're going to hold the line and we'll take the price to the consumer because to me, that's the easiest thing that you can communicate. It's like, guys, listen, the cost of all these raw materials has gone up because they are premium ingredients. And, you know, as we hope result, that you accept that. Yeah. Yeah. As a result. So on that note, and yeah, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too far on the seed oils, but I will tell you this. So um, again, like the, the crew and I just did a, wasn't the entire podcast wasn't on this, but it was about making changes and some of the basic things or the main things you could do to improve your health. Mm. This is wrapped around stop eating these refined seed oils mm-hmm. and all the reasons why. So going back to protein, how I got to the milk, going back to my history with protein powders, dude, I've used them all. I mean, I started yeah. as a kid with Joe Weider powder and, and it, it's evolved over time. I've been using protein powder since I was probably 12, 13, 14 years old. I know when I put something in when it doesn't agree with me or when something's up and I know what to and what not to. So yeah. I was using a particular brand. I won't say which one it was up until about the time, the time that I switched over to the mulk. And the reason I was using it, uh, one, cause it, it mainly because it wasn't messing me up. Okay. So all of a sudden I'm having these gut problems and I'm like, what in the, what is going on here? Like, and, yeah, this is a bit of a stressful time. And so I'm trying to take note of like, you know, where are my, my biomarkers here? Like, where's my, and where's my biofeedback and what has changed? Nothing had changed really with my diet. Okay. There's a little bit more stress. So lo and behold, I start to realize as I'm taking, I'd, I'd actually upped my protein intake hmm. by like maybe 15 to 20 grams, like three quarters of a, or a half of a scoop additional. Yep. Right. And like in the protein I was taking because I wasn't eating quite as much. Um, and it dawned on me I should look at this label because I'd heard from somebody else about the whole uh, sunflower lecithin versus soy lecithin mm. supply chain issue. Lo and behold, I looked at the label and the manufacturer, this brand I was buying, had moved from sunflower to, to soy lecithin. To soy lecithin. Mm. And that, to, it, to me, it, I could put a finger on it. like that Really? Because as soon as I eliminated that, gone. Moved over to this, this product. Gone. And again, like people's like, dude, you're just trying to sell shit right now. I'm just telling you what my body did 
And I didn't know that. It wasn't made known to us. I would have never thought to look at that unless somebody who's kind of into in the in the supplement world had clued me into this. Because mm. um, we it had started with the margins talk. I'm like, what is going on? Like, what about the supply chain is changing things? Okay, fuel, yes. But it's got to be something else um, that people were all up in arms about. And it, com- it comes back to this particular additive and how it messed me up. Um, and, I, you know, I just... So one of the places I wanted to go here because these these changes have been made in your products, whether you know it or not, uh, by these other manufacturers for people that are listening out there. And if you found like, look, it just doesn't mix up the same. Like it's got a different consistency. It's a little bit more chunky. It doesn't. It's 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 not as smooth maybe as it was. I have been having a little bit of gut issues. Like there's been some diarrhea there. Like um, it seems to maybe my 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 stomach does a little bit different things than it used to do. I would take a look at the ingredients on your label. Yeah, it's unfortunate that like we have to say that, but yeah, you know, a lot of the times they they do it behind the scenes, and it's a business decision. And and, and you know, we would come out and let the consumer know that we've made a change. change right. Um, for instance, we went through a massive reflavoring of our energy drinks um, because they uh, tasted like shit. They were bad. Like when they, when we first started, they were bad. And we just like kind of dealt with it because we were, we were number one, we made some improvements along the way while still maintaining monk fruit exclusively. Mm -hmm. But we've never said that we would never use another sweetener. We've never said that. We've said we chose monk fruit because it is the healthiest sweetener available at this time that, that is actually good. Mm-hmm. And what happened was there was development in Brazil. And what they did was they were able to take sugarcane and run it through a fermentation process where they were actu- actually able to extract the REB-M molecule from it. And so what you're doing is you're actually getting the sweetness molecule, not from stevia, but from sugarcane, which is like obviously the gold standard of sweetness obviously not health but sweetness but essentially took that sugar molecule from sugarcane and were able to concentrate it in a actual very natural process of fermentation there's very few steps in the process no chemicals added which is amazing yeah and it emerged and uh, we're one of the first ones to to use it and introduce it so did we hide that from our consumer no we put we put it right on the new and improved and we sent out an email I wrote a personal letter and we shipped it to all of our subscription customers. We're like, listen, this is what we're doing. This is what's happening. And we didn't say like, we just told them the truth. Like we will, if we, for instance, like we have joint warfare, which is one of our previous degrees. It was our top selling single product. If I went and found a new ingredient that I was like, man, this needs to be included in joint warfare. We'd reformulate it in there. Yeah. Yeah, So, it's really just about getting getting out in front of it. But in it, in reality, though, we're also making a, a positive change, in my opinion, versus a negative change. We haven't had to go backwards, thank God. But um, you know, yeah, perception is is everything, and I think you know a lot of perception is skewed by confusion, mm. right? And the, and the supplement industry is notorious for this. Uh, so is the fitness industry. A lot of them, a lot of industries are, but specifically on the sugar side of things, and people understanding that sugar is not inherently bad. Too much sugar all the time, uh, 
coming in does all kinds of different things to the body that then can lead to bad things, right? Like, uh, again, the, the pushing all the buttons, all the, all the reward systems, which then lead to maybe overeating, overconsumption, uh, obviously, you know, being the, the palatability of food and, 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 uh, not knowing good ingredients when you have it and overriding, you know, the, the hunger systems and things like that, or the being full, feeling a full or all that kind of stuff. So essentially what, what in this fermentation process, this is my knowledge, effectively what you did is you just made a lower serving of sugar or a lower dosage of sugar that much sweeter. So you don't have to put very much in here to make it taste good. Yeah. I mean, what it's doing is it's taking the sugar molecule and concentrating it. Yeah. That's it. It's, we, we use, con- I mean, so it's, it's like a good, like what high fructose corn syrup does, Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is actually to a much greater scale. I mean, it's it's actually the same thing with like monk fruit. I mean, what you're doing is you're concentrating mm-hmm. the active component, the mogerside component of monk fruit. That's why there's 25, 35, 40, 50% concentrates of monk fruit. Just like there's different concentrates of right. alpha GPC, the 50%, 99%. Right. Like it's just about concentrating it down lower. Monk fruit's still sugar. Monk fruit is still, um, at the end of the day, a sweetener that is... You know, you, you're going to have either nutritive or non-nutritive sweeteners, but it is the, the sugar can level. be demonized all at once. But at the end of the day, it's still natural. Yeah, totally. It's still not artificial lab totally. made. And and I'm also not going to go out and say like everything lab made is bad for you. I'm not going to go on a war and and say like sucralose is going to cause cancer and it's going to kill you. Um, do I think that opting for a um, I am a proponent of natural sweeteners mm-hmm. at the same time? If you drink regular Coke all day, every day, and you want to transition and you want to be healthier and you're like, I got to have Coke in my life. I'm going to be like, cool, drink Diet Coke or drink drink Coke Zero, whatever it is, whatever that is now. Why? Oh, I thought those were bad for me. Just say, just, just take my advice and it's not right. Like it's not. So, um, like, listen, losing 50 pounds is much more advantageous to your health than the potential side effects. From the sucralose in your diet. People don't realize how little is used, how little is used, even with um, something like RebM or monk fruit. Don't get me wrong. They're friggin' expensive for us to use compared to the rest of the industry. Um, you know, a, pa- a, a kilo, how, how much is a pound? Pa- like when you go to a store, how much is a pound of sugar? Is it how like, much does it cost? Yeah. No idea, man. I don't buy it. Four bucks or something. No like clue. People that bake with sugar. I, I have no idea. Let's I'm going to say, let's say four bucks. I, I'm probably super naive. Yeah. Um, well, let's say it's four bucks. A kilo of monk fruit is four hundred and twenty-five dollars wow. at fifty percent concentration. So, wow. granted, you get to use less, but it doesn't equal. Yeah, like it's not the same with Red Bull. You know, they've switched back to using mostly sugar in their products because what they realized is, for them, the the sugar-free versions weren't as successful as the full sugar versions. They just that's their business model. People they've like started sugar. to pivot back, pivot yeah. back. They like sugar. Cool, good for them. It's a lot cheaper for them to make. Got it. Our, our, our drink is probably four to six times more expensive to make. I think this just gives really good insight to kind of where the company's coming from again and, and quality, the importance of that, sticking to your guns, uh, transparency, integrity, uh, which goes across everything that I've learned and everything I'm seeing and everything that I already thought I knew, but that's just been confirmed since I've been here. And then that just makes me more confident and makes me more curious about all the new stuff that's coming down the line. And we, you just launched a new product was it a week ago, the creatine product or two. Yeah, I mean, Cyber Monday. Yeah. We launched it on Cyber Monday because we were sitting around and we were, we were wondering how we were going to launch it. It's like th- when we're sitting, we're sitting here on a Friday. That was literally Monday this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And hugely successful. 
it's it, it's been good. Yeah, and and we knew it would be good because it's creatine, right? It's creatine monohydrate. We didn't try and reinvent the wheel. We Most didn't make that mistake. Most research product in the history of supplements, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you if you don't count caffeine, yes. Yeah, yeah gotcha. It's, performance, if, yes. And, and so for performance, like ergogenic supplements, yeah. like it's easily the number one, like 500 plus clinical research. Yeah, it's, it seems like such the, the, the easiest thing to sell, the easiest thing to get out there. I mean, obviously you've got protein powder, which we already talked about so many people using, but yeah. in the performance supplement world, like it seems like, why did it take you so long to get here? I mean, I got to imagine Jocko for going back to the whole story about like, yeah. give me what I'm going to use. Got to imagine he's been using this stuff forever. Yeah. You know, he, he, it's kind of funny, much like myself, like creatine is something that we used back in the day. And then you'll, you, you know, it's kind of like you'll use it and then you won't use it and then you'll use it and then you won't use it. And in, in reality, like you should just use it. Like there's, there's no real science to say you like you need to cycle off or anything like you you're creatine you know when we've thankfully to enough research we've found you know that five gram dose is like what keeps like let's say the silos full of mm-hmm. of that compound in in the ergogenic and now we know nootropic benefits um that's what you need but you need to consume it every single day right otherwise it drops off and um the levels in the body drop off and you're going to lose that benefit so you should stay on it. And that's where I think companies fail. And that's where we didn't make that tuition payment where you, you don't want to make it something that someone has to incorporate it in a unique way. Like we didn't flavor it. We didn't add it in yes. with the pre-workout. Like right. everybody's like, I'm going to put it in the pre There's no transport There's system. zero reason to put it in a pre-workout. Only marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you see a pre-workout with creatine in it, run, run. Because there's zero reason to have it in it because are you taking pre-workout every day to get your creatine? No. So you got to take it somewhere else. So then you're like calculating like, you know, what did, did I, I take get, what I did uh, if I only take five? It's like, no, you should take your pre-workout and you should take your creatine separately and you should take your creatine every day, just like you do your multivitamin. Like these are staples in your regimen that you should have as your foundation. You take your pre-workout when you're going to work out. You take your extra protein, if that's what it is that you're taking post-workout when you're working out. Um, that's just part of, a, in my opinion, an appropriate protocol. Yeah, it's just, it's again, this is just life kind of thing if, yeah. you're, if you're in the performance game. So going back to that, like, why does it take so long for for you guys to release, release the product? Um, for a long time, I saw it straight up. So I saw it as like a Me Too product. Uh, um, got it. It was just like you know, Hey, what, how can we, and, and I did circle on it a little bit. Like, can we do anything differentiating? And then when I was like, okay, I realized like, not only is there not a lot you can do, it's actually not a good idea for the reasons I just mentioned. Mm. You know, I talked to Jocko and we have a product roadmap and it just didn't fit. Like it just didn't fit into that product roadmap, but our customers asked for it for so long. That's why when we, this is the first and probably only time it, it ever happened. We gave it away. Give the people what they want. They've been asking for it long enough. They'll yeah. give it away. Yeah. Um, there is a new product coming that we won't be able to give away that they've sort of been asking for for a long time. Um, it's kind of unique. And, and <laughs> I mean, let's hear about it, man. I mean, it, I mean, can you talk about it? Is it? I can. can, can oh, yeah. Let's talk no, about no, it. No, I can. I can't wait. Is this like a Iron Sights exclusive? This this is a Iron Sights exclusive. First, I haven't talked. I. I I think I've dangled the carrot that there's something coming, but I've never talked specifics and now I can talk specifics. Love exclusives and I'm honored. Yeah. So I kind of touched earlier on a multivitamin Mm -hmm. and 
we didn't do a multivitamin because there was a, um, there was a lot of requests for it, but there wasn't a way I struggled to find a way that authentically evolved one. And I, I definitely have a tendency to over-engineer and overbuild things. Like I, I, I have to strip things back. Like even now, you know, where we, where we prioritize like the efficacy, like there's times when I'm like, yeah, I'm, I wish I could play with this particular ingredient, but it doesn't fit within uh, the appropriate confines of like making this product profitable. Like it actually has to make money. It has to be business. Um, so what we'll do is I will opt to include, or like I'll, I'll go through and exclude like some, like, let's say less important ingredients to opt for this particular like okay. powerhouse ingredient. And with this particular, I haven't had to do that often. Like, let me backtrack for a second. Like, I haven't had to do that often. Like, our our Cold War product, like, we got a ton of requests to add elderberry. Mm-hmm. There were just, like, so many people that were like, we want elderberry. And I was like, yeah, I mean, the, it, there there is some research behind it. So, sure. So, we added it in. Um, didn't change it. Didn't change the cost or anything. It was a true just addition. Joint Warfare was, like, strongly built. We doubled our, our curcuminoid content on it. Mm-hmm. And didn't change the price. Like we, we went back to the drawing, drawing board on that one. So like, don't, don't take it as like, we're, we're not putting powerful formulas together, but on this one, we didn't hold anything back. It's the, for us internally, uh, it's not going to be a cheap price at retail. And we were okay with that. We made a decision where I, I built this formula and I, and I brought it to the, to my partners, Pete and Jocko. And then eventually to our executive team and, and the board. Now we have a board. And uh, I brought it to the rest of them. And I was like, guys, like, listen, this is fucking expensive to build. Um, but it's never been done before. And the ingredients we're using are like really, really powerful. And um, I'm lucky one of our, I can't t- talk too much about it, but one of our board members he, uh, an older gentleman has a lot of experience. He came up in, how do I say it? it another CPG company okay. who had a lot of experience back in even like the seventies with like trying to innovate in the anti-aging space. Cause it's been around for a long time. Okay. And you know, I, I'm, I'm selling this to everyone and they're like, it's a lot of it's over their heads talking about telomere health, mitochondrial sport and things like that. And he gets it. Okay. And he's like, I like it. And, and, and that helped with the, with the support, with the decision. Yeah. That, that really helped. And, um, you know, and, and Pete bought into it pretty, pretty quickly too, because, um, you know, he's at that point, you know, midlife where he's like, man, I can, you know, time is, time is short. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, in, in true Brian fashion, I overbuilt this thing like crazy. And I brought it to him. I was like, dude, I'd rather do it like this or not do it at all. Okay. I was like, just rather do it like this or not do it at all. We can make the numbers work. So I got with our head of sales. I was like, dude, how far can we push this price at, at the consumer level? 
And so we went out and we were like, well, look, we got to find like products. Like, let's look at the energy. Like we no, couldn't. There's nothing out there that looks like this. Yet. No. Like there's some people that make like vitamin packs and even like daily packs and things like that. But we've seen these over time. Yeah. yeah and listen, like as far as like taking out, those are high potency multivitamins. That's what those are. Mm-hmm. And those are great. They're actually really good for you. And I suggest like, if that's what you're looking for, go do it. I think that's a great. Um, there's a lot of great brands out there that do that. This is not that. So what I did was I looked at all the vitamins that the average, you know, American was deficient in and none of the ones that like, you're not deficient. Even if you eat a shitty diet, you're not deficient in these particular vitamins, right? The body just does a really good job maintaining the levels of those vitamins mm-hmm. and you're not going to get uh, deficient on a blood test level. And we included only the vitamins that were necessary that were classically deficient in the Western diet. Can I make a guess? Like without giving away the formula? Oh, no. Go ahead. Yeah. So the D's. Oh, yeah. B's. K. Yep. A. Yep. Um, C, maybe. Yep. There is some vitamin C in there. Yeah, and actually, not a lot there, 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 there isn't a ton, but like in general, people don't get enough, you know, just e. E, vitamin and E, A, D, E, and K. Right, I mentioned I mentioned D. So the K and the D, yeah. you know, interplay is important there. And uh, what am I missing? Um, a lot of so a lot. That's of, on the vitamins on the side. vitamin side. Yeah, on the mineral side, there's other stuff. Yeah. Exactly on the mineral side. Um, zinc, magnesium. Of course, there's yeah. zinc. There's mag, but you know, like there's some that'll include like molybdenum and selenium and boron and I, things like selenium's that. Selenium is a huge one. People don't, and, you don't get it. And so, but there's so many that a lot of people like don't necessarily have a true deficiency in, but they're not at optimal levels. That is true. That is true. And there's a big difference. I made a video the other day, actually, um, cause I make some videos to answer, respond to questions on my Instagram. And, um, I was talking about like RDA mm-hmm. And a lot of people think RDA is the upper limit of what they're supposed to take. That's actually the minimum threshold for sickness. Yeah, it just keeps you from getting sick and dying. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot of people don't know that. They need to know. Um, so, of course, there's a high potency level of multivitamin sure. in these vitamins. So it's a high potency gotcha. multivitamin. But that was just like the that was like the basic, like okay, we got to check that box. Then. There's a small, it's not a robust like hydration level of mineral um, with mag okay. and stuff like that. And then there's an adaptogen blend that does incorporate uh, a very solid amount of a high concentrate of pomegranate extract, which is very, very um, powerful. A lot and of research. A lot of research, yeah. especially recently coming out with heart health, which is blanket. It's, it's, it's heart health. Um, essential, essentially that um hardening of the arteries and the way um your lithin a is is helpful with um essentially treating i can't say treating essentially helping with uh, arthrosclerosis assisting with yeah yeah and um so very very powerful uh, on that front and actually what was nice this doesn't happen often but that was a jocko request as well so he's um, i find this interesting yeah he had stumbled on a piece of research just out of curiosity, I think through like Twitter mm-hmm. and, uh, he sent it to me. I was like, bro, we're in line. Like we, we got you right here. Yeah, so like, this needs to be included. I'm yeah. hundred like, percent. Yeah. And then it gets to the powerhouse blend, which is, which is actually a component of three ingredients, one compound. And, um, 
I don't know if I can elaborate into okay. what they are, right. but what I'll say is this, just one of the, I'll, I'll just pick apart one compound. So one of the compounds is there's different hallmarks of aging, right? And that, and that's how they're described as hall, these hallmarks of aging. And they're there, I think there used to be like seven and then there was nine and now there's like 14. This one compound this goes back to the telomere story. Yes. Yeah. This one compound and telomere, telomere length, by the way, is one hallmark, just one hallmark of aging. Yeah. For people that don't know what this is, we're, we're breaking it down into molecular biology. We're in basically DNA and yes. the helixes and things like that. So yes. if you go back to what you learned when you were in junior high or whatever, this is some deep scientific shit. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. So um, at, the, at the end of the day, you have, I should, I should have. I covered something first, but you have a chronological, a chronological age and you have a biological age. Right. You can't affect your chronological age. You can lie about it. Yeah. But other than that, you, you can't can pretend. Affect it. Yeah. You pretend. <laughs> um, you can get lots of plastic surgery and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we now, thanks to science, have the ability to measure your biological age. And that is affected through epigenetics and those epigenetics are controlled by lifestyle factors what you express which is in your dna versus Correct. what's sitting there and lifestyle diet exercise nutrition stress it all impacts this yes and i like to think of um the best way i can describe it and i'm constantly looking for a better analogy but the best way i can describe it is your dna your code of dna is like a piano right and if you're constantly living like let's say you get six hours of sleep and you eat a shitty diet, um, you don't manage stress, you don't, um, you know, you're not meditating or anything like that. Uh, you know, you're just living a poor lifestyle. You're playing certain keys all the time, every time, and that's it. Your genetics, there's certain genetic switches you're not even switching on. Mm -hmm. And some of those are done by getting appropriate amounts of sleep. Some of those are done by cold, hot exposure. Some of those are done by... Um, stress management and meditation and things like that, fasting, autophagy. There's so many different, you know, you're leaving shit on the table. You're, yeah. le you're leaving a lot on the table. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't know, but they're starting to know thanks to, to, you know, media, you know, Rogan is making this popular. Tony Robbins is making this popular. All these people are making these things popular. Anti-aging itself has had interest because, you know, kind of like the term nobody wants to age or nobody wants to die has been around forever, right? But we now have the science to show that you can actually slow and potentially reverse parts of your biological age. age. Right, right, right. And we can now measure it. So this one compound in the whole formula, which is very robust, but the one compound has been shown to have positive outcomes on all hallmarks of aging. Yeah, I think, I think I know what you're talking about. And it's not just like one study. There's meta-analysis on this over quite a quite a bit of quite a bit of time. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. And um it's it's powerful. So um, that's exciting, man. It is exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And we're doing some I can't I can't talk too much in detail, but we're doing some testing um at, at the at the human level. Mm -hmm. And you know, and it's gonna be it's gonna be um it's going to be cool. I'm excited to bring it. I'm very, I would say this is probably the product I'm most proud of so far. Is that right? Yeah. That's big. Yeah. I mean, in the evolution of everything that we've talked about, um, 
I can I can tell like there's there's a visible like change in kind of how you were describing it. Like I can tell you're excited and you're really holding back, which is exciting for me to listen to. And the other part of the, that I want to bring to the table is as you mentioned, Pete's you know sort of acknowledgement of how important this is and Jocko's acknowledgement of how important this is and you know you're now all the research you've done over all the time and where you are in life now looking at things maybe a little bit differently I think I probably fit into that category a little bit um, at 47 and thinking about things differently and making decisions for different reasons that I made them 10 years ago 20 years ago even five years ago and really being self-aware so that I can make better decisions for the future and thinking about that. And so from a market perspective, I think this is very interesting too, because when I think about Jocko and I think about how I got introduced to him, it was really more from the leadership perspective, mm. the entrepreneurship perspective and what he does with, with, uh, with echelon front. And obviously then there's the BJJ stuff, which is cool. And yeah. he's very passionate about that. And now we're talking about the nutrition piece but the people that listen to him, the people that are, you know, in the market that you have to, to market to, the, the products that you've come out with as, uh, as much thought and as much of the, uh, the pro- of the process that's gone into making sure you're delivering the right thing for, this, for the, the, the masses, this product will do that too. But there is a very, very specific, I think, market segment. And I'm one of those guys that is looking for stuff like this. And I hear about it all the time and I see it. And the first thing that comes to my mind whenever I see one of these new products pop up is, come on, man. Mm. Like, we're trying to, we're, here's, here's one that bugs the shit out of me. And I see it all the time. Like, the new growth hor- hormone, you know, stimulators through things like goji berry. Like, <sighs> through, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so yeah. That, that sigh right there tells me everything I need to know. Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Like, and so now it's like there's just skepticism. There's cynicism in kind of anything you see come out and um, or anything I see that comes out. And But there are there is so much of this research that, that's on the back end of the things that mm-hmm. you just, you just yeah. talked about that is there, there's, there's realness to it. There are facts to it. There's just nobody out there. Somebody has to come up with it and spend the time and have the passion and also take the risk of putting a very expensive product out there. Right, that's going to take some time to market. That has to have the right people behind it, not the dude in the ad that they say is sixty-five years old who look who has the body of a thirty-year-old or whatever who's been on growth hormone and any number of anabolics and even if you know. And then it's also been photoshopped on top of that over time and trying to sell a product that way. That isn't the way you're doing it. I think that's unique. <clears throat> I don't think anybody else is doing it. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, in this, in regards to this product, I would say, I'd say no, I, I would say, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, nothing is too crazy in our lineup. Nothing's too crazy. We've taken particular products that Jocko wanted to make, and then we kind of evolved it into products where we felt like we could disrupt that particular mm-hmm. category. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where like the energy drink evolved, you know, like he, he, it literally stemmed from a conversation where he said, like, dude, like my kids are coming, like my kids' friends, like you don't let his kids drink them, but he's like, my kids' friends come over with these, you know, toxic energy drinks and they're terrible for you. And he's like, I wish we could make something healthier. And we're like, cool, we can, like, let's do it. And then, so we explored that and he's like, well, how can we do it without, you know, adding a shit ton of caffeine, but still make it feel as good. Like we just like add some other, you know, we bring in ingredients from the nutraceutical world that nobody else is doing and nobody else had really done it then in 2018. So when it started development, so 
it was one of those things where we've just tried to disrupt particular categories. And this, you're, you're right though. This is the first time where we've said, okay, we're going to define a category and it's a risk. You know, it's a risk because, you know, there might not be mass adoption like there has been for like our greens or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just got to put ourselves out there. But um, you're right. When it comes to like certain, there's always something that comes along and then you're just like, okay, buddy. You right. know, you're like, whatever. Um, like goji berry with growth hormone. It's <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. You know, it's, you know, one of those things. But uh, thankfully uh, for us and and, and me, um, I, you know, I wouldn't be putting this out there if I didn't have paper among paper right. among paper to, to just like serve to the people like here you go if you want to dive in well, i think the the thing that i take away from this as we're closing up is here is just the the personal investment that you've made mm-hmm. right and that everybody in this company has made to and that goes from the people on the floor to the to you sitting at the table um and even the people i haven't met when you talk about jocko and and his trust and his investment mm-hmm. now in in this company and kind of where it started from a couple of things i take away is one that is the personal investment in seeing uh this thing come to fruition over time and it's moving at a fairly rapid pace but at the same time it seems to me it's very controlled uh, and i see that from everybody that i talk to and everybody seems to be on the same page you know we mentioned the, the man of many hats john wearing the man of mm. the, the, the guy who wears many hats seems everybody's learning all about those things or the the thing that the person sitting next to him also does and learns how to do that too. So they respect those things more. Um, and so they're proud of that. And they're also, they, they, they feel a connection to it, a personal connection to it, which is so important. And I think so rare in, in companies as this thing continues to go, you see it in very small companies, family owned operated businesses. This feels like a family, but it's, Again, beyond 300 employees now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to get bigger. The other thing I take away from this and just kind of listening to you is the suffering that's gone along to get here. You know, everybody's had to suffer a little bit um, in, in, from a personal perspective and from a professional perspective. So you know how to grind and you know how to come out the other side. And there's, I have a high level of respect for that. But more than anything, this is what kind of what I'm, what I picked up in today's conversation specifically is that there's a little bit of a chip on the shoulder right there's a little bit of a chip and i've always operated like that too so now i feel the now i feel a personal connection to Mm. it that we're going into this with a little bit of fight and you guys have been you guys have each been burned somewhere pete showing up to you know showing up to to the jiu-jitsu tournament and somebody else is wearing his gi with somebody else's label on it jocko being burned by the supplement industry you know you having to go through your business challenges and, and coming in and making and, and having to take a step back to maybe I need to rethink this. I've overbuilt this a little bit, all, all those kind of things that intrigues me. Those type of things intrigue me. And I think those are sort of the measures or the, the under belly of the business that's going to keep this thing moving forward. I wonder what you're the most excited about right now and in whether or not what I'm saying is accurate. Right. And there's that chip on your shoulder and, what are you gunning for next, man? Like, as we close up here, like, what's the next thing? Oh, man. Um, it's, uh, I mean, I, I would agree with the chip, the chip on the shoulder thing. Um, you know, there's, there's always different types of things driving people, mm-hmm. like the driving factors. Um, so I definitely think that's part of it. Um, as far as like what I'm most excited about going forward, I mean, I'm still really, really excited to like 
you know, we get praise a lot for our success and I really appreciate that, but I still feel like we're in our infancy. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, like it's in, until we like my, my job's not done until we replace every toxic energy drink in every like young, young person's hands, mm-hmm. like, like drop the sugar, drop the chemicals, drop the excessive amounts of caffeine that are unnecessary to get what you actually need. Like that mission is, is not complete by any means. Um, and of course I'm excited about the evolution of the organization and, um, you know, bringing more, you know, products to mass like distribution because it's, it's, it's been, it's been the good thing is it's been for a selfish reason. Like that, that, the, the, the reason why it started for me is the reason why it is extended into what it is. Like that selfish reason of like, I want to do, I want to use these force multipliers. I want to use these things to leverage success. I want to do it with the standards that our partners require. And I, I want to bring that to, to more people. I just want to bring that to more people. You're serving. Yeah. And, um, yeah, until we, until we substitute, you know, yeah, of course we have other things coming. We have like protein cookies. Like oh, I feel like all this. Yeah. Right around the corner. Protein know? cookies. We talked about bars a minute ago. Yeah. Like, we have a bar coming that, um, again, I can't talk details because yeah. someone will come out and crush us because we're not that big yet. Yeah. You know, like we're growing, we're bigger than the small, smallest guy, but Gotta play it smart. we ha- we have something coming on the, on the protein cookie in the bar side, basically the ready to eat side that I think is going to make some, some, some real waves. I believe in it. So, um, we're going to keep delivering, you know, innovative, healthy options for people to stay on the path. Yeah. You're doing it right here. American soil, American people, you know, American products, American manufacturing. Uh, I just want to thank you for your time, man. But before we, we break away, like if people want to find out more about you here, like, you know, here are the talks you just mentioned. You just did a post on something the other day, you know, to, to bring awareness to something. If you've got... You got some place people that, you know, the best place people can go to find out more about you. Where do they go? Yeah. Right now it's probably like my Instagram. There's a Brian underscore origin. Um, you can find me on there. Um, I've been getting, uh, a, a lot of requests to make a lot more videos recently. I have, I've been keeping them in a file and it's growing and I'm like, man, I really gotta put that shit out there. I gotta put that shit out yeah. there. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I thought about putting stuff on YouTube or whatever, but, uh, I just want to share, you know, share the knowledge. And I need to, I need to, I need to share some knowledge around seed oils for people yeah, so they stop worrying. I will, I will, I will say this and I, and I don't want to run on, uh, that's where you can find me. Um, but like everything is, as far as like, for me closing out, like you've got to find that, like, I'm sure you have a lot of guests that talk about balance mm-hmm. in all factors of life. And just like balance in your relationships and balance in like your, 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 your work schedule versus home and, and stuff like that. Like you have to have balance with what you're consuming in your body. Mm. Like you said, sugar is, is, is not the, the devil. Seed oils are not the devil. Like it's about balance, you know, and, and everything in moderation. The poison is in the dose, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it is, it, it absolutely is. Right. I mean, there's arsenic in apples, right? But it, like, it's not going to kill you, you know, apple a day. So, um, it's all about balance and, you know, don't, don't take, don't take shit too seriously. Just, uh, 
you just need to find things in, in moderation and have some self-control. Yeah. I think it's a great lesson. I mean, in, in all things in life, dude, that's this. I really appreciate you having me out here and having the crew out here. We've been able to meet everybody and, uh, you know, taking time out of your extraordinarily busy schedule. I know it's a, uh, you know, you're, you go bell to bell, you got, you know, new family, new, new baby at home and everything going on. So I'm honored to have been here today. And, uh, just want to thank you for your time, man. Well, I thank you for coming all the way out here. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm headed straight from here to record videos about, uh, our RTD versus the competitors. So, all right. Don't forget about that seed oil video. I want to see that. Uh, that seed oil video is coming out very soon. All right, brother. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.